It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Stop talking radio. It's that time. We have the people. This is Eric from Moana. This is Priscilla Lima. This is Casey Patterson. The story in real time. We're a much better team now than we were then. I'm not looking at just this year. I'm looking at the next four years. You're listening to The Net Live with Barney. You didn't win, so you must not have done a good job. And B.J. Ruscha. I have great thighs. It's The Net Live right now. <laughs> Right on, Casey Patterson. They keep it rolling. He's booming all over the world, man. He had a good weekend. He did. Another good weekend, we mm-hmm. should say. We should point out. It's yeah, not just a good right. weekend with Casey Patterson this year. It is a lot of good weekends. Another good weekend. And this is another good week to be a part of the Net Live. Maybe, maybe one of the best, Jeremy. We'll see at the end of our show how the fans feel about it. If it was one of the best weekends to be a part of the Net Live. But, or, I think it's possible. I think it's possible. Great show planned for you today. We have a surprise guest host who is currently in traffic on the 405. Happens. Mondays. On his way down, he will be No, we're letting people know it's a he now. It is a he. Okay. It is a he. Although we are in the market for a quality, opinionated female host. And we have some ideas. We do. uh, But we we are in the market for that. If you have any suggestions, email us at live at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook and tell us who you want to hear on our air as a guest host either on a guest basis or on a permanent or semi-permanent basis, we are definitely in the market to have a female voice and increased female opinion here on the program to counteract the misogynistic male tendencies <laughs> of us. Speaking of which, I saw um, Kelly Tennant yesterday. No, oh, you did? She was at the event, uh, Steve Nash Foundation event that Geeter and I were both at. Oh, we're Kelly's at. there. Geeter's there. Well, it's, nice. kind of, yeah, it's kind of a big deal. Nice. This is a celebrity basketball tournament? Soccer. Soccer. The Steve oh, Nash sorry, Foundation, he's a big soccer does, guy. yeah, soccer stuff. They had, uh, you know, some LA Galaxy guys out there, some basketball guys. My Los Angeles Clipper, Jared Dudley, now was out there, scored a goal. Nice, good times. Nice, good stuff. Well, we have a great show planned for today. In addition to the guest host, we will have Jane Collymore, former University of Florida Gator. I'm excited about that. Who will come on and talk to Jeremy about music? And yeah, you just get to like tune out at that point. Yeah, or? I handle all these other interviews. You're going to handle Jane Collymore and the music side of things. You guys are going to just going to geek out. <laughs> We're going to learn stuff about the music business we did not. Know. I don't know if it's going to be a good interview. It'll just be me talking to her. It's okay. It's okay. You guys going off? She, you know, she knows Sir Mix a lot and Bone Thugs and Harmony. So we can start with that. Those are going to be good questions. We'll have a lot of audio from the women's matches, or from one of the women's matches. Jeremy and I repped the Net Live on Friday night down in Long Beach. Matt Gardhoff repped uh, the Triangle Hat. He repped hard. As well as himself and the event. He did a great job, but it was a, a really impressive event. We'll talk about that. Coach's Corner will have LMU and national team coach Tom Black. He's an assistant for Karch on the national team. He is the head over there, over there at Loyola Marymount University right near Los Angeles International Airport. 
we'll have Tom Black on Coach's Corner talking about the difference between international and collegiate coaching, international and collegiate players, and what he is taking back to his college program from his international experience, as this is the first year he has been a coach there. There's a lot happening in the world of volleyball. Of course, Stod, 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 this past weekend happened. We'll get to that for Beach Volleyball. But I want to start with the USA Cup, because it was held here locally in Southern California. Mm -hmm. It was the United States women facing off against Japan. And you may say, oh, Japan is at Japan. Japan is the, the bronze medalist, by the way. This is a Just rematch. case anybody's wondering, yeah. This is a matchup of the silver medalist and bronze medalist from last year's Olympic Games and put on three really nice matches. The United States actually swept the series, 3-1, 3-1, and 3-2, but it was not without some fantastic play on both sides. And let's just put it out there right now. Bravo, Southern California. Oh, we talk. Go ahead. Good for you guys. Yeah. We beat you up. Last year, in preparation for the men's Olympic qualifier, also held at the Pyramid, and you showed up in force. And again, you showed up in force for three matches all throughout the Southern California area for the USA women. Bravo. When you and I walked into the Pyramid, I feel like we both walked in and kind of stopped and were in shock and awe that it was sold out. Yes. And not like because... Blackhawk helicopters coming down <laughs> yes. on us. And not because it couldn't have been sold out, but for me... And I'm in the world of volleyball. I didn't know about it until we talked about it on the show last Monday. Okay. I didn't realize that they were at the Pyramid. So I was like, okay, maybe word didn't get out there as much. Walked in the door, sold out. It was great. It was awesome. And they actually turned people away two nights before that. I believe it was Capistrano. No, it was Remac down there in, in San Diego, San Diego right? yep. on the campus of UC San Diego. They turned away two to 300 people. They could not put them in the building. That may have never happened in the last 15 years or 20 years here in the United States. And let's, you know, give a round of applause to all of the fans. There you go. Our in-studio audience um, for showing up. I mean, and like you and I commented while we were there, it didn't look like even the normal volleyball crowd. Like, I didn't see a lot of people that I recognize, so that means they've reached new people somehow to get to these events. The fewer people I know at these events, the better... The marketing turned out. Bottom yeah. Line. Oh, yeah. Bottom line. For sure. Because if I know everybody there, it's the same old suspects yeah. who are going to die in those seats one day. <laughs> that's no good. <laughs> die in those seats. But I don't these, know if I would have gone that far. This was new fans. This was great stuff. And fortunately, they got to see some really nice performances by a variety of players. 17 different U.S. players in the three-match series for the World Cup. Or what are they calling this? The Volleyball Cup. USA Volleyball Cup with Japan. So 17 players got to see action. Actually, uh, Jenna Haglin and Courtney Thompson set the last match. Yep. That's two University of Washington setters. Mm -hmm. Nice job up there. Kirsty Jackson and Sonia Newcomb suited for their first international matches. So you're seeing some new players, some new faces and talent. We actually have some good audio from that, as a matter of fact. Yeah, we do. And speaking of new faces, how about a familiar face? Danielle Scott-Ahuda. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, Danielle Scott now. Let's Danielle Scott, Danielle yes. Scott. So I think you called like 85 in your interview that I listened to. Uh, 57, maybe. 57? Yeah, let's kind of harsh. Let's play that video or that audio. This is, this is her right after the match. Opportunity to hear from an Olympic veteran. All right, here after uh, USA versus Japan, a U.S. victory here with uh, Danielle Scott. Actually, Danielle, you're what, uh, 57 years old now in your 10th Olympics? <laughs> 
something like that. <laughs> but it feels like I'm 20 in my first. I don't know. I'm just having fun with it. I feel healthy. I enjoy being with the girls. And it's a lot of fun. It's really nice to compete. Yeah, how is it you can stay healthy? Because I'm all beat up and messed up, and here you are still playing. I was just commenting on how great a shape you're in. Um, well, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of downtime. I think that's the key once you're older. But... Um, I'm really blessed physically, and I haven't had any major injuries, and um, I don't know, passionate about doing it. If I am injured, I'm going to limp through it. <laughs> well, this is a fun match tonight. Great U.S. crowd. You're not used to seeing this in the U.S. How fun is it to play in front of so many people? That was so awesome, and to be back here in the Pyramid, I saw um, that the Pyramid or Long Beach had hosted the men's championship last year. I was like, this is awesome. That'd be great to get a women's match here. And so here we are against Japan. It's sold out. Oh, I don't know if it's sold out, but it was pretty full. The atmosphere was great, and it's so wonderful, yeah. Was the pyramid here, or were you gold mine when you were here? I was gold mine, and even the alumni game last year was at the gold mine because they were reforming things here. But, yeah, it was nice playing the gold mine or in the uh, pyramid here and be back at home. Okay, I know we got a ton of fans here, but I want to get first just your thoughts on Karch Karai and the first beginning of his system because this is kind of the first view for everyone to see a Karch Karai coach team. What's different about the gym? Um, I think there is a sense of calm that he's trying to emphasize that everything is important, not just your finals. And so when you get to the gold medal match, like this is our 11th championship match, so that once we get to the gold medal match, hopefully, you know, we'll do everything the same, don't try to do too much or anything less, just play volleyball. So that's one thing, and also just um, commitment to each other which we've had in the past, but um, like commitment to going for every ball and uh, for talking about things, try to do things, talk about things beforehand and like the emphasis on that. But yeah, he's, he's been great. Okay, we got to get you on the show for a longer interview. I had too many people standing around here want to get your autograph, but thanks. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, cool. Thanks, Danielle. All right, Danielle Scott. Yep. She, I don't think she's 57. She's not even close to 57. She's like 40, though. I'd have to look up Danielle Scott's actual age. She played pretty well. Got in the game. She did. Yep. And she played well the next night. Let's hear from uh, Kristen Richards Hildebrandt. Kristen Hildebrandt. Called her Kristen Jackson at one point. No, she is not the star of Twilight. <laughs> she would like to be. Yeah, it would work out okay. But let's hear from one of the young players, Kristen Hildebrandt, who I think is going to have a good year. You don't go with the Richards or do? Uh, no, I'm Hildebrand now. Thank you for doing that, by the way, because it doesn't fit on a jersey, and yeah. it's terrible to have to say. <laughs> hey, congratulations on a good match. What are your thoughts on kind of first time out? Uh, gosh, I mean, Japan brought a great game of volleyball tonight, like they always do. Um, they were kind of relentless on defense. It, was, it got pretty tough to kill a ball uh, with three, four, five, even six, six rallies, sometimes transitioning back and forth. Um, I don't know. Uh, there were... There were some there were some tough moments for USA tonight. Uh, got down pretty good at times. I felt like in the second set we did something pretty pretty cool by being down 17-23 and coming back and winning. Um, I was really proud of our of our effort for that. Um, and all in all, like pretty happy. What happened in set number three? Because you had all that momentum coming out of set two with uh, the big comeback. I don't know. Uh, service kind of broke down a little bit. Um, and uh, I don't know. Japan's a tough team, you know, and they get a lot of momentum. Uh, uh, we just we couldn't find the groove. You look like a different player than just a couple of years ago. Do you feel like a different player? I mean, you look you look stronger. You look more like a professional volleyball player, and you just look more dynamic out there. Do you feel that way? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, I do. What do you credit that to? Um, bunch of hard work, I suppose. Overseas, here with the U.S. team, both. Yeah, a combination of both. Absolutely. Yeah. Where, where have you been playing? 
Uh, I've been playing in Italy, I've been playing in Turkey, I've been playing in um, Russia. Uh, going to Brazil next year, and then you know every summer coming back and grinding with USA is um, a lot of opportunities to get better. So. Yeah, you're just surfing the world. You haven't stayed in one team for more than one year? Yeah. Why? Um, I don't know. Every year I've had the opportunity to go back to that team, but I've been I've had better offers and more enticing offers. Like after I played in Azerbaijan, they wanted me to go back, and um, I had a, better, a much better offer in Italy, and I always wanted to play in Italy. And and my year in Italy, I didn't stay because the economy kind of broke down in Istanbul. I mean, did they pay you? Uh, no. No. They sure didn't. A typical story. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and the same thing kind of happened with Italy. I had to get out of there because. The economy was bad, so I went to Turkey, and this year, Turkey, you know, they, they offered me, but I got a much better offer from Brazil, so, yeah, surfing the world, like you said. <laughs> when you're playing overseas, is it the coaching that's been making you better, or the players that are around you, or stuff you're doing internally? Where do you think you're getting the most benefit when you're not with the U.S. national team? Stuff I'm doing internally. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the USA program, Karch, he sends us over with, I mean, we know, we know what we're doing, we know what we're training, and we know our system, and, I mean, it's definitely a challenge going over, and... And, and, and I don't know, integrating into a bunch of Turkish volleyball players, right? A lot of them can't communicate. Um, the you know service lanes are different, or the blocking system is different. So it's definitely a challenge. But um, I don't know. Karch does a great job of, of checking in with us often to make sure that we're working on the right things, and you know, sending video back and forth and just staying engaged. So it's um, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely got to put a lot of effort into it. But yeah, we're all we're all getting better. Okay, your husband Tyler is now coaching with Casey and Jake, yeah. who are having a great year. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. But when you guys are at home, how much volleyball gets talked about? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, if it's up to Tyler, quite a lot. Okay. The guy, the okay. guy, can, the guy can talk for hours about the game. Um, I tend to kind of shut it off and just kind of want to, you know, keep volleyball at the ASC um, if I'm doing it six, seven, eight hours a day. Um, so you had to tell him, like, stop. Well, I mean, it gets to a point. Gets to a point after about 10 or 15 minutes, you know, he can he can see it on my face. I'm hanging in there with him, and then he kind of is like, all right, I know, I know, I'm talking too much, and then he kind of he kind of, you know, whatever, wraps it up. So, yeah. All right, you're my pick this year to have a breakout year. Is that going to happen? Yes, sir. Right on. All right, thanks for the time. <laughs> thanks. Cool. Appreciate it. Thanks very much. Yeah. Sorry, I got another friend named Kristen. No. I want to I want to be there for a Hildebrandt dinner. One time, I want to hear it. Did the talk volley? Or? Yeah, when, when she when her eyes glaze over, <laughs> she's like, "Dude, I've been in practice six hours today. I don't want to hear about it anymore." Hey, our our guest host has arrived. You might know this person. Uh, he's an author, a clothing company owner, member of the board of Big Brothers of America at one point, a Catholic youth organization Hall of Fame member, a commercial actor, a movie actor, a father, a TV commentator, and a partner in a sandal company. Uh, Christopher St. John Smith. Welcome, Chris. <laughs> Nobody knows who you're talking about. <laughs> that was the point. No, of course, this is Sidget Smith. I think he has, uh, uh, you know, a couple of tour victories, uh, Hall of Fame member, 2000. Everybody knows that stuff. This is the more fun stuff. They don't know the Christopher part? That's right. Nobody does. In fact, when they called me Christopher in, in high school, I didn't respond because I didn't know who they were talking to. <laughs> <laughs> so where did the Sinjin come from? Old old English pronunciation of St. John. That's that's my middle name. Really? Yeah. One of Shakespeare's uh, characters in one of his plays was Sinjin. And uh, my dad liked it, so... Okay, so but he named you Christopher St. John, but intended but to I, go with the Sinjin all the whole time. I, I grew up as Sinjin, yeah. 
Okay, very good. Well, hey, thanks for coming down to the studio yeah, here. Sure. It's been a long, long time. I, I, I've been waiting for you guys to invite me down. I loved your answer. I, I, I worked with him on the uh, the CIF championships here on Fox, and I said, Dave, would you come down to the studio sometime? You all you have to do is ask. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He's been waiting by his phone for years Finally. for a phone call, Kevin. Jeez. Finally. Hey, so we were chatting off while we were listening to those interviews and talking about the crowds here in Southern California. We were just kind of congratulating before you walked in Southern California for actually showing up. Are you surprised that they sold out the men's event last year and the women's event? Two of them were completely sold out, and Long Beach was darn near sold out again. Well, the crazy thing is we have such tremendous players, There's, you know, and the matches are great matches. It's just a matter of how do you get the people there. And, and for whatever reason, our the public now wants to see our national teams compete. So that's an unbelievable thing. But yet you said it's very expensive to bring those matches here. So, I, you know, I don't know what they're going to do, but it, the more of those matches we can have, the better it is for the sport in our country. And, and the sport of volleyball really needs a boost. Yeah, you said, why don't they play here more often if it's been that successful? My answer was, well, it's hard because Grand Prix, which is their big World League event, their long, month-long event that they play all these international matches and have to be a part of because all the good teams mm-hmm. are in those in that tournament and in those matches. That's all in Asia. And to bring an event here a week here is going to be an untold amount of money. Well, and how many people actually do they get when they go to Asia? Do they, they get quite a few it varies. Yeah. It's like World League or it's like uh, World Cup or World Championships in Japan. Sometimes yeah. the crowd is really good. Sometimes there's 25 people there. But they get tremendous television coverage and everything else, and that's what pays for, for them to be there. So it's, it is harder to be here. But, God, if you can get 5,000 people or more to watch a match, it's got to be worthwhile to bring it here. Yeah, Lumina Sports Marketing Group, who just signed a deal with USA Volleyball, was the, the party responsible for this. I know they were pleasantly... Uh, I, I think pleasantly surprised because leading into it, I had, had some communication with them, and they didn't have great pre-sales mm-hmm. because it's always been a walk-up market. Yep. You always knew you could get a ticket. It's not like it's going to sell out. Well, now. Now, now you may have gotten turned away at Remac. They turned away a few hundred people who said, oh, you know, I'm here for the volleyball. Sorry. Sorry, Sold bro. Out. Sorry, bro. <laughs> That's and, a, a great thing for the sport, for sure. And after they staggered backwards and tried to decide if they were <laughs> dreaming or having a nightmare. <laughs> really? Sold out? Love it. So, Sinjin, I was going through your bio here, uh, just kind of reading about you and this and that and the other thing. And I, I wondered if back in the day your partnership was so close, could that have made a reality show? If this was today, <laughs> if it was you guys today, AVP and Beach Volleyball was as big as it was and we're in this reality environment, would you guys have made a good subject for a reality show? I, I think <laughs> with Sokos himself trying to step back. And Would you have wanted that? Is the question. Well, that, well that's a different, story. <laughs> a different issue, right? I just, I just mean from a from a viewership uh, okay. standpoint. Gotcha. It makes it much harder. <laughs> but it wasn't just about me and Randy or Randy, you know, individually. It was it was the group of people that were playing at that time. Hovland and Dodd. You couldn't do anything fun without having them involved, and particularly Hovland. I yeah. Mean, I mean, we we. When we left California to build this sport around the country, it was really Randy, me, Hob, and Dot. And we would go to these cities in advance, and we'd go to the bars, and we might have a beer or two, you know, <laughs> or three, or, you know. But it, it just it, – it made for some very interesting entertainment, you know, for us for sure, but for the people around us too. And then the competition really is what made it made it great because we were always battling against them in the finals. and. 
and Hovland was a tremendous character in, in, in our he sport. He is, in, in, yeah, yeah, still to this day. We had him a couple of years ago with <laughs> some of the funniest radio we've ever had, I think. Yeah, and, and Randy, too. And then the interaction between all of us, it, it, it made for, I mean, that's the only reason why I was able to play for 25 years. It was so much fun and so interesting, you know, the, having those personalities in the game, playing against them and, and working with them to build a sport and everything. It was awesome. Now, Canyon Seaman works for WWE now, former volleyball athlete who now is in charge of casting new talent for WWE. It seems like the AVP in that day had more of a WWE component to it. Not that it was staged, but that you had actual characters. There were sort of the good guys and the villains, and there were sort of the the middle-of-the-road guys that would come in and come out. And and it was more characterized than today. At least it seemed that way. It's... It's, it was all timing. It all happened at the right time with the right Lightning people. in a bottle? Yeah, and, and all throughout the 80s and the early 90s, it, you know, the right people with the personalities who were there, and it just made for great entertainment, not only on the court but on television and off the court, the whole thing. And then there's stories about fighting and, and the South Bay and the North Bay and the whole thing. 16th it, it, Street versus Marine? Yeah, well, I don't know about that. But <laughs> <laughs> to, to me, the South Bay was all one group. And I think. Uh, and, w- and Will Rogers was another? Well, State beat? <laughs> anything outside of South Bay. <laughs> <laughs> but when we would come down and we'd play at Manhattan or Hermosa, there, there seemed, particularly Manhattan, there seemed to be a, a, a quite a large faction that was really pulling for the Manhattan guys, particularly Hovland and Dodd. Yeah. Ho- Hovland and Dodd. And, and it, made it, it made it interesting for them, made it interesting for us, and it was, it was great for the crowd. I know we're going to skip around a little bit with, with you here for the entire show from the Wayback Machine to today. And one of the things that I find interesting about you is how you've stayed involved in a lot of different ways. One of those ways is you're now an owner or, or president of the Collegiate Sand Volleyball Championships. Yeah, I, I actually started that, and, and what you know when the NCAA started to show interest in the sport, I thought, oh, this is fantastic, unbelievable. But there was a huge component missing, and that is the championship. Well, that is <laughs> most of the schools in the in the country, mm-hmm. and the kids you know that want to play that will never be able to participate in the NCAA program, particularly the guys, but also many, many, many girls' schools and many girls that just won't participate in the NCAA program because. There's only going to be a handful of schools that are going to be able to participate. So I saw a big void, so I went, okay, let's just start having events for all those other kids in all the schools around the country. Set it up so we'd have qualifiers around the country and then a championship out here in California. And I've done that for the last seven years, and the, and we'll talk about this later, I'm sure, but the championships this year is part of the ASICS World Series of Beach Volleyball mm-hmm. event where, you know, with the Grand Slam and the World Series Cup Final and the six-man and the four-man and the youth, and then part of it will be our, our championship. This is the club side of things for the kids. They're participating on their own, funding their own way. Yeah, it's all about yeah. – it's, it's, it's basically creating a culture within the college ranks for sand volleyball that is not there at all. You know, getting them to to know that there's an opportunity to play and compete against other athletes from other colleges. And so within the college, they're going to get, compete. And then an opportunity to go out and compete against other colleges is kind of an interesting thing. At least I think so. I would have loved to have done it when I was in college. But that, that wasn't available. But so, yeah, just creating and developing a culture of the sport. And that's going to help the sport in general competing internationally because you're going to start to see some of our good athletes coming out of these programs that are going to represent us uh, around the world. Yeah, the future of beach volleyball in the United States seems very much in doubt when this current generation leaves. Yeah. 
when the Todd Rogers, Phil Dalhauser, Misty and Carrie, when when those athletes are gone, and even you look at April and and Jen, and now it's going to be April and and Carrie, but it, that whole group of athletes, it looks like there's going to be a whole shift in the way that it functions, in the way that the athletes relate to the national governing body in the international game. Well. You mean just losing those players, those named players? Well, losing the named players is one thing, yeah. but also the way that the talent is developed. Because uh-huh. those players develop themselves, or, or so they would have you believe. I mean, with the help of the AVP and right. the help of the FIVB and, and that system as it was, where you decided to play in these events, you worked out every day on the beach, set your own schedule, got your own coach, yep. everything else. Now there seems to be a fundamental shift to more of a national team model and not quite the Brazilian model that we're seeing implemented this year where the coaches are chosen, the training site is chosen, the players and the partnerships are chosen by the organization. But we're starting to see it brought more into and integrated with the governing body where before it was very much outside. Well, yeah, and, and that is the attempt by the national governing body. And, and they will continue to try and, 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 and build their development part of, of the game. But with a country this large, it, most of the development's going to be done outside of the, the national governing body. I mean, in, any way that they can bring in all the different factions that are doing anything for the sport under the umbrella is going to be great, and, and that, I think, is what they're striving for, and, mm-hmm. and I'll help them do that as well. But the reality is there's so many people out there that don't really need the national governing body at this point. They have their their areas around the country where they're putting on, you know, all different kinds of events at all different levels, and they're very successful at it. There's Operators not, you're talking about, yeah, it, not players. Yeah, promoters. Promoters, promoters yeah. Of, of the game. And, they, you know, uh, in Chicago, in New York, I mean, everywhere, in all up and down Florida, there there's people putting on events at all different levels, and people are playing. And that's continuing to grow and grow and grow. So and he, he, even on, at the youth level, level, the club volleyball indoors, there's, you know, there's so many players being developed at that level, and now beach is becoming a part of that. That club which, system, right? Yeah, and and that doesn't really have anything to do with the NGB. So, yeah, the national governing body is is playing a bigger role. They need to play an even bigger role, and they will going into the future. It's going to take many many years, but you you cannot discount what's happening in those pockets around the country that are developing players, developing events. And and really helping grow the sport. You mentioned the factionalization or the, the splinter I'm not grouping, sure if that right? was the right word. <laughs> I, I didn't mean it as well, a negative, but but the reality is, you know, the guys in Chicago that are putting on the events, they're they they're all by themselves. There's nobody out there helping them. And then there's you know a group in in Milwaukee, completely separate of of the guys in Chicago. They're doing what they do. They're successful at what they do. And and now, bit by bit, they're trying to work together in some way because, you know, there's not enough out there for at least the higher level players to make a living. So they've got to crisscross to all these different areas to try and make a little bit of money if they want to continue to play the sport and develop at the highest level. I can see it kind of two ways, where the factionalization and people going their own directions would help to develop and perhaps find the right path to promote the sport, but I can also see it being too many people going too many different directions, and there's no sense of community and sense of all boats rise with the tide kind of situation. Do you, which do you think is better? Are we in the middle of trying to sort out 
how it all is going to relate. I mean, you're always in the middle of something developing, I guess. But it seems like this is, has been a big sea of change since 2010 where the main entity disappeared. Again, well, the, 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 the main entity had nothing to do with any of these other promoters across the country. Right. You know, the AVP was at that time the the sport at the highest level, and it really only catered to the professionals and you know what, thirty teams maybe maybe around the country, mostly in Southern California. So they had nothing to do with the development of the sport. And and they tried they tried to bring in these promoters around the country, have them do qualifiers for the AVP, but you know they really weren't offering that much enough to make these promoters you know drop everything and become part of the group mm -hmm. because like I said they're out there they're doing their thing they're successful already they have some other areas which they're drawing the youth and the community programming you're talking all about. the different levels yeah. the amateur level and everything else and and actually the pro level isn't their their biggest deal, but each one of these groups around the country will do a pro event and offer, you know, some kind of prize money. Not not at the highest level, not enough to, you know, make a living off of for the players, but something that's interesting to to get attention, to get more sponsors at a certain level, and even maybe some coverage on on the you know, on the web or, or somewhere. All right, well, there's a lot of different directions we're going to go here with Sinjin today as he sits in on this episode of the Net Live, but we have our Guests coming up next, we're going to take a short break and give you a little taste of who's coming up. They've been on the show a few years ago, and she can still be seen all around the Seattle, Washington area, as well as uh, with Sir Mix-a-Lot once in a while. I can't, wait to ask her, I can't wait to ask her about that. Question number one, right yeah, off the bat. Right off the bat. Sir Mix-a-Lot, talk about it. Yes, and go. We'll be right back. Volleyball Magazine, the only print publication covering all aspects of the sport you love. VBM has been publishing the latest in volleyball news for over 35 years. With exclusive photo galleries, player interviews, event coverage, product reviews, and volleyball-specific health and fitness advice, Volleyball Magazine is a great resource for players and fans of all levels. Now with an even more robust online presence, check out VolleyballMag.com to subscribe and find exclusive web content and articles. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest, Volleyball Mag is the industry's number one volleyball magazine. Myself up by my bootstrap It's haunted on your face It's stepped on It's something healthy It's pleasurable Potentially pleasurable Yeah You got a thing for cats Baby, I am quite the feline I love a laundromat Chapter 4 Cause breathing pages for me
Back to the net live, you're getting a good listen to Jane Collymore, star at University of Florida. Years ago, spent some time with the national team, and now can be seen all around the Seattle area. Has embarked on a rather ambitious musical career, and we played her a few years ago here, and she's done a lot since then. So we thought we'd spend some time catching up with her. Please welcome to the net live for the first time in a long time, Jane Collymore. Jane, are you there? I am, Kevin. How are you doing? Hey, we're good here. We're just hanging out. Myself, DJ Roche, and uh, Sinjin Smith co-hosting today. So uh, yeah. one thing I found interesting about your site, Jane, we've had you on here before. On your musical website, there is no mention of volleyball. What happened? Well, you know, I'm done playing for uh, for right now. I've done quite a bit of coaching and done some playing. And, um, yeah, I'm just focusing my energies on music. Okay, but do the two cross-pollinate at all? Is there any way to make music and volleyball play together? You could warm up to your own music, I guess. Some, yeah, well, there are some possibilities. I actually do have a um, a volleyball song I wrote, um, uh, kind of a fun gym anthem called Fist Pump Society, play volleyball. i coached some of my own clinics, so... I don't know. What are some of your thoughts, Kevin, on the cross-pollination? Well, people get my thoughts all the time on this show. We're, that's why we bring on guests, so we can hear other things. I, it's too much of me sometimes. <laughs> well, vo- volleyball didn't hurt okay, Gabby well, Reese. Hey, it's your show. I'd love to hear what you have to say. It's true. Hey, uh, Jeremy, I know you were dying to get to Sir Mix-a-Lot right off the top. Yeah, Jane, I, I heard a rumor that you toured with Sir Mix-a-Lot or touring with Sir Mix-a-Lot. I would like to hear more about that. Opened up for him, um, did a couple shows in Seattle, and um, also opened up for the President of the United States of America here in Seattle. So did a little bit of work with them, um, recorded with Sir Mix-a-Lot. He's very, very funny, very down-to-earth guy, very talented. Um, so they're a pleasure to work with. Yeah, it seems like the stuff I've seen with him, he seems like a very kind of funny dude when he talks about his biggest hits, and he's just laughing about the whole thing. He, he seems like a very tongue-in-cheek kind of normal dude, and have you found that people in music, how different are they or how similar are they to people in volleyball? Well, I guess as a whole, they're both more public professions. So, um, you know, both groups of people are in the spotlight. And I, th- I think people are people. You know, you've got your, your funny ones. You've got your wild cards. You've got your – yeah, people are people. They're the same everywhere you go. <laughs> Jane, I'm always curious about, like, yeah. the making of music. Like, I always like watching the behind-the-scenes and how things came to be. Uh, tell us a little bit about how, like, you got into the music side and actually are now touring. It's That's not an easy thing to do. People can't just pick up and go, hey, I'm just going to go tour my record. Yeah. 
Well, I began uh, music when I was about age three. I started playing classical piano from ages three to 12. Um, picked up the guitar, started putting old journals and poetry to to guitar songs, and it just became this little hobby that I pursued quietly while I was doing volleyball. It gave me a nice sort of counterbalance, and then began recording my own music. Um, and things just kind of snowballed from there. Just started using the social networking platform that I had available and interacting with local bands and labels. And um, that's it in a nutshell. Is it easier or harder today in the music environment, do you think, in the, than in the past? It seems like technologically it's easier, but that might make the climate more crowded with artists trying to put out and promote their their brands and their music. You mean to stay independent while using I, no, to get noticed. To get noticed and get on tour and get your music okay. distributed. Is it easier or harder? Is it is it harder because it's more crowded? Is it easier because it's technologically possible? I think it's much easier. I encourage every single musician, artist, you know, who wants to get their stuff out there to stay independent and to just utilize social media and use technology. Um, these days we really don't need record labels to do anything for us. All you really need to do is put a put a Facebook profile up. You can utilize a fantastic tool called Reverb Nation that allows you to distribute your music on iTunes and Amazon. Um, then you just get out there and play. You can... Um, network with other local musicians. You can do open mics. If you have access to larger venues, you can do that. You can perform online, YouTube. There's just so many different ways to, um, you know, retrain, retain control and to retain, um, I guess, quality of life while you're pursuing what you love. So, yeah, I'm indie all the way. Uh, that's, that's something that majors want me to say, <laughs> but I'm going to say it. <laughs> you're right, though. Like, the major record labels, yeah. you don't need them anymore. You really don't. All right. I've met with I've met with a few of them. Um, you know, I think there's some there's some good things that they can offer in terms of having you know the the gigantic budgets, but it is a trade off. Um, so I'm I personally enjoy the the independent route. I have been signed to a smaller indie label and did get arts and contracts by the majors, and it's it's just not for me. Quite personally, I, um, there's some things I won't do for money and to get ahead, and I'm very happy with the decisions I've made. Um, and uh, for, I guess, religious reasons, I'm a, uh, my music's taken a more Christian alternative pop soul um, leaning these days. But, you know, you just got to do what's right. Yeah, how hard is it to stay committed to that when you are offered opportunities that you don't necessarily think are the right choice? How hard is it for you to remain committed mm -hmm. to what you think is right, not necessarily what might make the most money? It's all a personal choice. Um, I personally wouldn't be happy with millions and millions of dollars if I was tied down to the wrong people and if I had to jump through different hoops and, uh, you know, kind of play a certain game that I, I'm not naturally wired to play. So I'm happy taking a little bit less money and um, living a lifestyle that I am comfortable with. And everyone's different. Um, I've just encountered quite a few individuals and artists at the top who had taken that leap and signed contracts thinking that they were getting into one thing and, you know, it wound up being something completely different. Um, and uh, I guess uh, no one wants to prostitute themselves, literally prostitute themselves for success. And that's, it's a business of <laughs> a lot of prostitution in that business. No? Yeah. I might. Uh, I'm I don't cool know. on that, son. Yeah, <laughs> that's not for me. That's not for me, Kevin. That's not for me. <laughs> 
Jane, what is your uh, songwriting process like? Do you need to be sitting in the dark with a bunch of candles lit? Can you do it anywhere? Just any inspiration? Like what? Do you inspired... have a vision there, Jeremy? Hey, man. Some I know a lot of musicians. They need it specific. They need the room temperature at like seventy-two degrees. I mean, I've met some weird people. You need four Batman's on your desk. Oh, I do, yes. But wow, who are you talking to, J Lo? Well, I said yeah, you I need said all white M and M's. I said artists, not uh, people who have things written for them. Oh, yeah. Cool. Sorry about that, J-Lo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see. I, You know, I just write when inspiration strikes me. Um, I keep a little journal, and I'll put whatever's on my mind in there on a, um, a day-to-day basis. And I'll just pick up my guitar when inspiration strikes. I don't have a set formula. Sometimes it's uh, chord progressions first. Other times it's lyrics first. Um, but, no, I don't have a set Room temperature that's induces um, hits. No, I'm, I'm not that specific yet. I don't know if I ought to read. That seems kind of a little bit overboard. How about you, Do you write? I do you not. Compose, I compose. Right? I do not write uh, lyrics. I am not. I have written some songs, and then I go back and look at them, and I'm just like, that's just not good. So I'm in the, the practicing stage of that, but more composing the music <laughs> side of it, but not writing. Hey, I, I've got a question for you. This is Sinjin. Okay. How are you, first of all? You good? Hi. Hi. Yeah. Okay. Good to hear from you. Here's, here's You're my question. You're a fantastic qu- volleyball player. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> so are you. <laughs> hey, are, are you writing, I mean, are you, the music you put out, is, is, it, is it based on a message or is it just based on what you feel at the time? That's a very good question. I think it'd be a little bit of both. Um, I tend to draw on ex- personal experiences, um, you know, different moments of elation and joy and other times where I want to say something in the real world, but I don't necessarily have the right form for it, so I'll put it into song. I guess when I was a little bit younger, that was my method for communication. It was sort of my form of escape. Um, and then I guess now with, uh, you know, some of the, the climate change and some of the things kind of going on in politics. I think, uh, you know, like most musicians, we use our art as a form for communication to make you know, little statements on what we believe. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, 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 sure. I, I've got a follow-up, though. <laughs> um, because <Okay>. <laughs> because you are a volleyball player, um, have you have you and, and did you have a desire to take advantage of the volleyball industry to basically one you know just to to put out your music and, and let them hear it and two you know you you could make mm-hmm. a you know a pretty strong message to the young people in the sport today if you really wanted to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, th- I'd love to do that. I um I spoke a bit with some of the individuals at USA Volleyball um, a couple years ago, and, you know, we'll see. Do um, you think there's more of a pipeline through you? Uh, well, I never know. Oh. I mean, it's it's an interesting concept, and I, and I think you've got a pretty broad audience in, in the volleyball industry. And the other thing is you, you said you wrote something mm-hmm. for volleyball. Uh, do we have that here? We don't have it here. It would be interesting to listen to that. I know that there's, no. there's a major event that's coming up uh, in, in the U.S., the, the Grand Slam, the World Series of Beach Volleyball with all the top players from around the world. And, and they were the, the promoter, Leonard Amato, is going to have a lot of pop music going on throughout the event. Um, but one of the things he was interested in is, is having some kind of volleyball uh, 
for lack of a better word, jingle that he could use to lead, you know, to start every match to, you know, during timeouts or whatever, some kind of music that that was kind of up upbeat, exciting, but with a volleyball message. And, and you know, coming from a, a volleyball person, that would be an ideal situation. Well, if there's a music festival attached, too, how can we have Jane Collymore headlining part well, of the music festival? She's touring. Uh, are you touring in L.A. Uh, next week? <laughs> next week. Uh, yeah, I have to check the, the calendar. This Grand Slam, is next, it's next week. I actually have a show um, Friday. Where? So you said it's the following week? In Seattle, right? So on Friday, you can fly down, do Saturday here. There you go. We'll work on this. Here's what I'm going to we'll do. Work on I'm this. going to put you in touch with with the promoter of the event, just just because because he'll be doing more of these events going into the future, and it might be interesting for you just to have the conversation, if nothing else. Okay, sure. Jane, we're talking about like we're talking about integrating you into volleyball events here. But how has volleyball and your experience, both collegiately and with the national team, how did that influence? your musical development, or your willingness, perhaps, to get out there on, on the ledge and put yourself out there as an artist? You know, I think sports gave me an incredible amount of self-discipline and structure, um, which I'm sure she did for every, every um, you know, athlete with USA and, and in college, but it just gives us a huge platform to move mountains and to make things happen in whatever we decide to do in life, whether it's... Um, you know, art or music or politics or painting sidewalks. Uh, uh, so personally, I have to thank all the coaches I've had a pleasure um, of working with for instilling their different value systems and um, work ethic um, that help shape different career ventures. Um, yeah, I think just the teamwork aspect, retaining your personal goals and making sure that you still hit team goals. Um, yeah. Good times, rock and roll. <laughs> All right, Jane, you're going to be appearing at uh, a few venues here coming up. It looks like Cole Creek Chapel on July 19th, City Hall Park on July 28th, and then Trinity Nightclub on September 28th. Mm-hmm. What other regular gigs do you have going in uh, Seattle there in, in your area? Right now it's just those three that are lined up. Um, got actually a couple invites to play in Los Angeles and still working on some of the logistics there. But for right now, um, enjoying Washington and kind of enjoying being in one place for more than a six months to a year at a time. I'm sure you know how that goes, right? Oh, we do. We're all too familiar with that. Now, the Seattle scene years ago was a big one musically. I imagine it still is quite vibrant. But I've noticed around the United States that pastels are back. I'm wearing, is flannel back in Seattle? Is that whole thing coming back? Am I having to go grunge again? Are they going grunge again? Yeah. Yeah, do I have to break out my flannels that I've hung on to for 15 years? Kevin, you can wear whatever you like up here. Anything that you want. We're we're not going to put you into a a mold. You don't need to go hippie. All right, I'll try and make sure it's waterproof. I've been to Seattle uh, three or four times in the last year, and I think it's rained every time, but it's always beautiful. And one of the great quotes about Seattle I was ever told was that, yeah, it rains all the time, but people go around pretending like it's not. And I found that to be very true in that great city. <laughs> Jane, uh, tell people where they can pick up your yeah. music if they're well, interested. Well, the are beautiful here. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it is nice. Tell, tell tell people where they can pick up your music if they're interested in in getting something of yours off of iTunes or off of uh, Amazon or off of your site. Give us your info here. Sure. My website is janecolomer.com. That's J-A-N-E-C-O-L-L-Y-M-O-R-E. I'm on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, a couple other sites, and you're welcome to buy my CDs through my store on the website or buy it through Internet distribution. Um, I also write and produce. Um, so if you're interested in having some songs written for you or anything produced, feel free to send me an email. Um, I do jingles. I do music licensing. I've uh, done some stuff for independent film, for radio, broadcasting. So you name it. Let me know what you need, and I can hook you up. All right. Sinjin Smith appears to be interested. You, Kevin. <laughs> Sinjin Smith is interested, so you got to make sure you leverage that one. What's your question for me? Have you been following the Trayvon Martin Zimmerman case? Uh-oh. We we have. I have. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. have. We haven't been stepping into too many political topics around here at the Net Live. And stayed off the 10 freeway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think about that case, Willie? Oh, man. I think it's got implications that are far beyond anything that this show is qualified <laughs> to talk about. That's it's, it's We'll save it for the Barnett <laughs> political show. That's great. Okay, very diplomatic. Yeah. All right, Kevin. All right. Hey, Jane, thanks very much for well, coming thank on. thank you for having me on the show. We wish you the best of luck, and uh, maybe we'll see you well, next Heidi. week at the World Championships or at the uh, World Series Beach Volleyball. Anything's possible. Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. Jane Collymore, thanks for joining well, us. thank you for your time, gentlemen. All right, see you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jane Collymore checking in straight from Seattle. Here's a little more Collymore for you. Just yeah. you know, get a little vibe for let it roll a little bit. We're going to take uh, about 35, 40 seconds here, and we'll be right back. More Sinjin Smith here on the Net Live on a Monday.
Welcome back to the Net Live here on a Monday. Thanks to Volleyball Magazine for the support of this show as well as the ASICS World Series of Beach Volleyball. We appreciate them supporting this program and want you to get out and support that event. Get out to Long Beach and put your feet, put your wallet where your mouth is sometimes and where your ears are every Monday with us here. Get out there and go to a great volleyball event. Thanks to those that showed up for the indoor side of the game this past week for the women. Now get out and show your love for the outdoors. It's free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the right price. That's all you need to know. <laughs> it's yeah. all It's like free. this show. I mean, come on. Can you imagine? First of all, you've got all the best players from around the world, right? The world. Your Olympians, your everybody who is at the very top of their sport from the various countries coming here, playing in Long Beach. And guess what? You can play two right alongside of them. You could play in the six-man, the four-man, and you can drink. Because it's Long Beach. There's a beer garden, Kevin. There's a Not beer garden, like. and there, there's a bikini contest. There's all kinds of music every day. There's I, more than 20 hours on NBC. This has never, ever been done. like 23 at this point. It, there, it's, it's a lot. It's never Chris Marlowe, is gonna, his done. voice is going to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be horrible? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wong will have to carry the show. He's a little younger. The voice might hold out. Might hold out. Yep. <laughs> no, but this is, there's been nothing like this in, in our country ever. And the great thing is it's coming at a perfect time because at the highest level, our sport in this country is kind of in a flux. So this could really, really help our sport in this country. But, but for the people, the local people, my God. I mean, when I say local, I mean up and down the coast from all over California. Yeah. Here's an opportunity to see the very best in the world and play, too. You could go to their website, WSOBV.com, and sign up and play the six-man, the four-man, the collegiate championships, or a youth event. How come there's no sitting division? I need a sitting Hard division. to sit in the sand, Kevin. You Hard to what? sit in the sand and play volleyball. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. You could that. sit in you could. I mean, you, you can, can sand. You're going to get sand in places you really don't want it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, once it goes there, it just packs it. You're, no, you're fine. I beg to differ. Cover the easy reader this past week. Great picture of Kerry Walsh along with Leonard Armato, the, the man behind this event and the man behind so much of beach volleyball throughout the years. Sinjin, what is your exact role and how did you get involved? Well, Leonard, as you mentioned, he's been involved in the sport since it became professional. He made it professional. Right, day one, the AVP. He started the AVP. He he created an environment where the players could actually make a living at the game. Build it up, develop television relationships, sponsor deals, everything else. So he, he's been there. He's done all of it. The sport was in, in, a, in a very, very sad way, and he said, I, I want to do something, but I want to do something very, very different. hasn't been done before in this country. And his idea was to do USA versus the world, and NBC was all over it. They said, yes, great idea. Let's do that, USA versus the world. So we had conversations. I, I worked with Leonard to, to get in touch with the FIVB, had some very good conversations. They were very much on board because the FIVB really needs and wants to create a presence here in the United States. There hasn't been an international beach event for 10 years here. And still, people don't know what the FIVB is. They really don't get it. They're not sure. No, they have no idea. You say AVP, they go, oh, yeah. You say the NVL, oh, yeah, it's professional beach volleyball. You say FIVB, you go, aren't they the, well, what are they? <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's an opportunity for the FIVB really to expose who they are and what they are, what they mean to the sport of volleyball and beach volleyball. So, so we had the conversation with FIVB. They were they were very much on board, and then trying to lay out what this event would look like. You know, I sat down with Leonard and, and uh, came up with with uh, something that's never been done before. 
That's the highest level beach volleyball. That's the Grand Slam and the World Series Cup, which is USA versus the world. Top USA athletes against the top uh, athletes from around the world in a in a face-off at the end of the event on, on Saturday and Sunday after the Grand Slam finishes. And then, of course, all throughout, uh, on Thursday, they have a youth component. Any Anybody can sign up for the youth component, the 12s, 14s, 16s, 18s. And then the collegiate championships where, where I've already qualified teams around the country and, and are flying them out. And then anyone who wants to sign up in California has an opportunity to do that as long as there's space available. And then the four-man, of course, which is a mixed four-man. You have to have a, a woman on your team, or you get to have a woman on your team, I should say. Pick up a setter. <laughs> there you go. And then the six-man, which we all know is, is a crazy fun event. And it, it's very, very social, but it also can be very, very competitive. Saturday, everybody plays. Sunday, the better teams will come back and, and play it off. But the interesting thing about the, the four-man and the six-man, you can pick up international players that are playing in the event from around the world. So you can add international players nice. to your team at any point, nice. at any point during the competition. As long as they're entered in the international event, that you can pick them up inside of your four-man or six-man event. Absolutely. You, you, there's a limit to how many you can take, but you can you could kind of look around, see who's doing well, and if they finish their play internationally... You might want to speak German. Yeah, <laughs> that would help. <laughs> and you can pick up that 6'11 guy. <laughs> or you heckle that guy during the tournament so he loses, and you'll be like, oh, sorry for heckling you, bro, but would you like to be on my six-man team? Well, you need your buddy to heckle him, but he doesn't know that That's, you're you buddies, and that. then you pick him up. There yeah. you go. So uh, what's the layout here? Because I see it's July 22nd to the 28th. This is not just a one-weekend event. This is not happening with just the pro stuff. Everything's getting underway. And, and Go ahead. That, well, the nature of the, the international events, the, the Grand Slams, is they start early in the week. They have pool play, and then they, they get down to uh, the top teams later on in the week. And right. then the, 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 the television matches start uh, first on Thursday and then Friday You know, with the Grand Slam, and then the Grand Slam finishes on Saturday, and then the World Series Cup starts Saturday and finishes on Sunday. Okay. And throughout all of this, of course, they're all the amateur is all the amateur volleyball. And anybody can play in that. All they have to do is go and sign up. And it and like I said, the, the six man and four man, there's such you've seen them, you've played in them. Probably. I have. So they're very very. Fun. I've worn a pizza costume. <laughs> <laughs> In play with cartoon hands. Setting. Awesome. Yeah. Setting. Setting. Couldn't see a thing. Couldn't see a thing. No, I, I, and those events are, are absolutely as fun as they can be. But, but again, you come down, you can play, and then watch the very, very best in the world. And Carrie Walsh is going to be playing, and she's been helping promote the event. And, you know, she's coming back from her, from her last child. Picked up a ninth this past week in yeah. Stad. As predicted by Geeter last week, by the yeah. way. Good yeah. call on his way out the door. <laughs> yeah. And and she's very excited to be able specifically to play in the World Series part of this event. Um, she's committed to do it, and she she wants to showcase the sport of beach volleyball in the country and around the world with this World Series uh, uh, Cup. But, I mean, obviously also for the Grand Slam. Those listening around the United States and the world aren't necessarily familiar with the six men. They've heard us talk about the event that happens in Manhattan Beach and has had been a huge party in Manhattan Beach, gotten too big for the city to handle. Have you guys annexed that event then? This is the, the Charlie Sagley six-man, or well, is this just well, no. another six-man? And, and it's interesting because we, we talked to uh, uh, Charlie Sagley's son Jay. Uh, and and asked him if he wanted to participate because – 
the city of Manhattan Beach, because the event became so large in Manhattan Beach, they actually moved it to during the middle of the week. Right. And they placed a lot of restrictions, and it became more and more expensive. And, and everybody understands why. It really was kind of out of – it was so big and so fun, it was just a little bit out of control. So they had to, you know, rein it in a little bit. And and uh, and we we wanted Jay to be part of our event. We didn't want to compete with – with the Manhattan Six Man, we wanted him to be part of it, and it just for whatever reason it didn't work out. And so there, there will be a Manhattan Six Man the following week during the middle of the week, and and you know the teams will continue to play in that. But there'll be another opportunity for the teams who can't play in the middle of the week to play on the weekend in Long Beach uh, on the 27th and 28th, uh, and it and it should be well there's no limitation on how many teams it, and there's a lot of space down there so it should be a lot of fun all right so now i have to stay in costume for 10 days not just two <laughs> i have to go between tournaments back and forth keep yeah. my pizza costume on absolutely you get a day break in between okay i can take the cartoon hands <laughs> off maybe do some typing good good <laughs> all right so make sure that you check this out if you're anywhere in the southern california area or you're planning a trip to southern california july 22nd to the 28th you got to come out and be a part of this in one way or another. Get down to Long Beach. Great area to be. They have lots of parking. Yeah, when I was lots down there of for parking, last time. lots of space, lots to do. down. It's right downtown. It's right next to the marina. It's, it's easy to get to, easy to see from the main drag there. And it, it, it should be great. You can walk. Food, beer garden. You can, you can walk to, to, you know, 50 restaurants right. are within walking distance. Take the kids to the aquarium if you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah. And the Queen Mary. You'll be looking at the Queen Mary when you either serve or receive every ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, it, it's very, very convenient, big beach, and, and with all the music, and they just announced the music, and I don't know if you if it's on the website right now, but they just announced all the, the music uh, components of the event, and and they're names that, that people will recognize. Um, you know, they, w- they went out of their way to make sure they had very popular music coming to the event, and it's every every day, so I think, starting on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jeremy, you probably know what's I'll going be there. on more than, more than well, anybody. Uh, the music right? side, a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, DJ Jeremy Roche will be headlining. Everyone well, else obviously. will be. I'll be yeah. headlining for eight to ten hours per day <laughs> yeah. on stadium court starting on Thursday. Did you see the, the lineup of I artists? saw some of them. I have to go back, and I saw, like, the tentative list. I don't want to, I want to make sure I don't say things that aren't that aren't to be said. Well, that aren't confirmed. I can't remember which ones are confirmed from the list I saw. Um, I don't but, see but all the names the all the names on there will be They'll, things they, that people know. They will be put on the website um, either today and I think at the latest tomorrow because they just confirmed their whole list and and so they should be up on the website the World Series of Beach Volleyball uh, website, which is wsobv.com. All right, and I'm going to make sure I sign up for the $1,000 grand prize, the Bud Light Bikini Contest. That's right. You're going to be in the bikini contest? Well, I can, I can wear the, the banana hammock. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, there will also be broadcast television coverage. It will be on NBC Sports Network as well as Universal uh, and, then, and NBC Sports. Actually, on Saturday, July 27th, they will have on NBC Sports the uh, men's gold medal NBC Live 430 yeah. Eastern Time. So that will be 1.30 p.m. if you're out there on Saturday you want to see the men's gold medal final. You'll have an opportunity to watch it live on television if you're not here in the Southern California area. NBC Sports Network, NBCSN. If, if people haven't come and seen one a, a professional event, I mean, let alone an international event, the best teams around the world, all the Olympians, it's such a great opportunity, and it's free. It's all free. There's there's no charge. And if you want special seating, they will, you know, 
accommodate you, they have you can pay for special seating. But the general admission is zero. Okay, that's a good price. To yeah, see the best absolutely volleyball players in the world. Yeah, all of them in one place. And and they're very accessible. I mean, you, yeah, oh, yeah. you know, our sport is is I mean, even way more so than indoors. Although I know the indoor teams. After the matches, they usually come over and they they sure. mingle with the crowd a little bit. But the the beach players can't get away from the crowd. Yeah, <laughs> they're there. even when they want to. Yeah. <laughs> Wherever they go, they're they're amongst the crowd. So it's a pretty cool thing. And the players are are you know friendly. They don't bite you, even though on the court. And and I got this. You know, when I was playing, we're pretty intense when we play. And but after the game's over, you know. Generally, after a couple minutes, at least. Yeah, right. Depends you know, on if you won or lost. Yeah, we're, we're after no Karch is done ripping the net down in yeah. Rhode Island. Yeah, yeah. take a deep breath. Sign some autographs. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe he didn't recover from that so quickly. But <laughs> most, most of the players recover fairly quickly and, and are normal people after they finish playing and and are more than willing to talk and sign autographs and and yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a neat sport that way. I found the list of the confirmed acts. Yeah, okay. There we go. Read them off. So Thursday. Cisco Adler and Banana Beat plus special guests. And here's what I can say about the special guests. You want to be around for the special guests. Okay. Some of them we can't, they can't really talk about yet, but it's you trust yes, me. It's part of their contract. Yes, exactly. Right? They yeah. cannot, but yes. it, it, it'll be exciting. the special guests. Okay. Yeah. Friday. Don't blow anybody's contract here like we've done before on this show. Yeah. Friday, Ryan Cabrera plus a special performance. Ooh, Ryan Cabrera. Yeah. I've got one of his songs. Friday, Parachute, DJ Vice, and special guests. Saturday, who I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Danny Avila, Bonaboo in YLA with special guest. And then Sunday, DJ Irie from the Miami Heat will be on stadium court with me. Do I want to be there for each special guest? Like, is there a big-name band each night that can't be announced? I mean, I've heard you, some of them. Because name, you have but... kids and families, like, you should be there at least Saturday for the special guest. Justin Bieber's going to be at the World Series. <laughs> the volleyball? All the believers, Are you me? All the believers will be there. I don't know if Justin fits into the volleyball community. Uh, so that's what is confirmed at the moment. Okay. Some good names. So, Sinjin, with you here, I wondered why there isn't a copy of your 2008 book along with you. Which one? The Everyday yeah, Champion. Which one? Which, which one that year? Yeah, which <laughs> New York Times bestseller? The Everyday Kevin. Champion, A Real-Life Guide to Feeling Good, Looking Good, and Staying Healthy After 35. I could use this book. I'm 39. Sold out. I'll try and find one for you. I <laughs> love it. <laughs> I'll try and find one for you. Sign copy. <laughs> uh, you mentioned you, you've stayed involved with the sport. Well, one of the ways you've stayed involved with the sport is as a parent. And you and I had an opportunity to do the CIF Southern Section Championships presented by Ford on FoxSportsWest.com uh, a few weeks ago. And you did the finals with a certain Hagen Smith and the Loyola Cubs facing off with the Huntington Beach Oilers in the finals. What's it like to be a parent of a volleyball player in the, the club system, the high school system, the way that volleyball is now? What's it like to sit on the other side and be a spectator? Uh, you know... I think it's it's probably difficult for most most athletes to walk watch their children play, you know, the to play their own sport, yeah, especially well, particularly their own sport. But I think it's probably true with any sport because if you're an athlete, you're competitive, and it doesn't matter what sport they're playing, and you're still involved, and you want you know you want them to do well, and you kind of feel like you know what it takes for them to do well, and 
And I, I think I've stayed back far enough where, you know, he, he's his own player. He's doing his own thing. I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't get – I was friendly to the coaches and kind of made myself available to them, but, but didn't impress upon them anything along the way, high school or in the club system. Um, I was fortunate that, that Hagen is just a really good player, and he, you know, he he did what he can do, and he played well, and and uh, is now going to UCLA, and and will play for them starting in the fall. He's listed as an outside hitter, setter. What's he well, going to UCLA? No, he was recru- he was recruited as a libero, as a junior. Okay, that's the position he played on club, and you know, but he he, I think, fancied himself as. Is a, a setter, a hitter. It, you know, could do anything, which he's a really good athlete. He can do. As a senior, they needed him to play the hitting position and the setting position. So that's what he did. And it was interesting because the coaches that were, were recruiting him saw him as a libero, and then all of a sudden they see this kid that's doing everything out on the court. You know, when he's a senior, and they're going, "Wait a minute, who's that guy?" And then <laughs> UCLA coaches, uh, Brad Keller in particular, the assistant coach to John Spira, he was standing around a bunch of coaches, and they were looking, and he's, you know, he's setting, he's hitting, he's doing all this stuff, and they and they were kind of, you know, talking about it. And Brad goes, "Hold on, guys, he's he's coming to UCLA." Yeah, we are, you know? already got him. <laughs> already got him, everybody. <laughs> so it's a really neat thing to see that that. I mean, you always want your kid to do well, but he Hagen is his, his own man now. He's 18. Yeah. Uh, so he so he doesn't have to listen to you ever again. <laughs> you know, and and I think it's a problem if you push too much. They don't want to listen to you. But but he comes to me and he asks me certain questions about certain things that go on, and he he knows I'm I'm a wealth of information, but I'm there only if he needs me. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Well, I've noticed since I've been around UCLA the past couple of years, I see you there, not just at volleyball things, but at basketball games and stuff like that. Has that been a conscious effort on your part to still be involved with the school? I mean, I know they honor you. I was there last year. They did some stuff for you, like you're out on the court during a basketball game. Um, is that something you'd like to still be around? Well, I, I, it's my school, yeah. you know, and I, I won two championships, and I'm in their Hall of Fame, and, and, you know, they've supported me, and I continue to support them. I follow you know, beach or I followed the volleyball team uh, ever since I left there in 1979, um, and then I coached with Al Skates. I was one of his assistants. His very last year, his 50th year, mm-hmm. which was an exciting thing for me to do. Um, and I'll continue to go. I mean, if Hagen didn't wasn't there, I'd still support yep. the team. I mean, it's it's my school, and and conveniently, it's just a few miles away from where I live too, which helps out quite a bit. What was more fun, the coaching aspect, being in the gym with Al, or dinner after the match with Al? <laughs> Al's, Al's pretty fun. He's fun all the time. I mean, when it, when it comes to business and he needs to do something, everybody has to, you know, toe the line. But but he he's a unique coach, a unique person, and he knows how to enjoy himself as well. So we we always had a good time. As a player, not not as much, you know. I mean, because he he. You know, you're his player. After you're done, it, it's a whole different relationship uh, when it comes to Al. And he he has friendships with all of his players throughout all of the years. He remembers things I can't, I, I, I just can't believe from all his teams. Imagine 50 years, 50 years and all the success he had. So, yeah, he, he's an incredible guy. And I'm, I'm fortunate 
to have an opportunity to play golf with him every once in a while. And that's a real treat, too. And he's, he has not lost his competitive edge in any way, shape, or form. You know, and he, you know, there's, he has a group of guys that he plays with. And, yeah. And uh, he's talking trash. Oh my God! And, <laughs> and very competitive. And, and if you're on his team, he's going to help you all the way. If if you know, after the first nine, sometimes the teams switch. And if you're off his team, even if you're riding in his cart, oh, he's sorry. tearing you down. Oh yeah. <laughs> Al, what do you see here? Is it a little left to right? He goes, I'm not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of fun. Al's Al's a great guy. All right, well, listen, we, I want to take you back in the Wayback Machine. In just a minute, we're going to run our Coach's Corner segment with Tom Black. But then I want to go back and have you. I remember a, a dinner in Portland years ago when I first started broadcasting, hearing about the history of the AVP and its initial kind of descent from its its grandeur of the middle 90s and then its rebirth. And I just want to kind of give our listeners, from someone who was there, a view of what exactly happened. People always ask us all the time, what happened to beach volleyball? What happened to the AVP? Why did it happen? What were some of the, the mistakes? What were some of the things maybe to be learned? I want to take you through that after we run our Coach's Corner segment here with Tom Black. This is me catching up with Tom after the Long Beach match. Remember, Tom Black is the head coach of the Loyola Marymount women, and he has also recently been named assistant coach for the women's national team under Karch Karai. And I think part of the new young blood that's out there in the coaching world, an opportunity to hear from one of the guys sitting at a top level at a young age. The, uh, well, hold on. The different one. Catching up after USA versus Japan with USA national team assistant coach Tom Black. And Tom, just tell me about your time so far. How's it been working with Karch? It's been great. Yeah, I've learned a ton from Karch. He's doing a phenomenal job. You know, he he does what he expects of the girls. He gets better every day, and it's going great. How do you tell if Karch is upset or if Karch is happy? Because he's pretty even out here on the floor. Yeah. Didn't they call him the computer when he played? You know, it's pretty similar. He's pretty steady. I want to make a T-shirt the many faces of Karch cry. You could wear it. Yeah, I'll be like one picture, right? You know? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hey, you're now into the international game. Yeah. Still coaching at Loyola Marymount. Yeah. What are the differences you see that really are stark between the two games, between the two athletes, between the way the two games run? Well, obviously, I mean, everything's a little better because it's a higher level. They, you know, international players read the game a lot better. They're able to do more uh, in good and bad situations. You know, um, you know, just the whole level of play is higher. You know, it's, uh, I can't think of any aspect that isn't, you know, better, faster, or, you know, player, where players can do more. So... I think the change is just, is just another level up. What will you do differently, do you think, when you get back to the college team? Uh, I think when you, I mean, when you coach these athletes, I think it makes you a better teacher because you, uh, if, if they don't buy into what you're saying, they're going to let you know it. You know, so you got to really, you know, think about what you're saying and how to teach. I think, I think that makes me a better teacher. So, I, you know, hopefully, it just makes me a little bit better as I go back. Is there anything that before you, you thought, well, I don't want to teach that? to my college kids, but now you see here at the international level what's possible or what's needed or what's different, and now you'll take that back and maybe change philosophically about the game, your view of the game? No, it's the other way around. I, 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 uh, we're, we're, trying to get, we're trying to accelerate uh, how the game is played with the women, and uh, I think there's a lot of resistance in the women's game about how the women's game is played, and we're trying to break through that. Um, so, uh, no, it's, it's more about kind of incorporating what we believe and get it going and, and I think we're you know we're seeing it and we'll keep seeing it as the clock goes on. Why does that resistance exist? Well I just think for a long time I think there's a lot of things that have been done maybe because they're women and, and uh, we don't know if that's always valid. We think you know women can do anything men can do and uh, you know I, I think we're going to keep doing that and keep getting better at that and I think you know it could change the game over the course of the course of the quad. Um, 
you know, I've, there's a lot of different reasons for it. You know, I think you know, the women's game is played so many different ways, and um, and all these girls are coming from different backgrounds, so they're trying to learn a new system. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of reasons for it, but um, we're seeing we're seeing some progress, and you know, I think we'll keep seeing it. Like the men's team, you have a lot of young players. It looks like a giant jigsaw puzzle. How? What percentage of that puzzle do you think you guys have put together? Uh, you mean like for the final? Yeah, for four years from now. Why not? Man, it's so what hard. percentage? I have no idea. You know, that's five. No idea. That's the whole thing with the quad. I mean, how do you predict where someone's going to be in four years? But uh, we like we have so many young players that are doing a great job. You know, so it's pretty exciting to think about. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but we have a lot of players that could do it, so it's exciting to think about where it's going to end up. How many full teams could you field in an international game right now? Because last year, I think the U.S. proved they had two. Do you have three now? Man, I think we had at least three last squad. I mean, not we. That they um, we have at least two. I would say at least. You know, we have, and that's the strength of our country. You know, I mean, the vo women's volleyball has become a major sport, and there's all these great players throughout our country. So we have a lot of good players. From a staff perspective, how is your staff divided up on the national team level? What is Karch have you focusing on? Have Reed focusing on? And then, how are you going to take any of that aspect back to your own program? Um, yeah, well. We have a pretty small staff compared to the rest of the world, so we all have to have our hands in everything. But mainly, uh, mainly I'm more offensive. Reed is more defense, and Karch is obviously overseeing everything. But I'm I'm really focusing with the setters, um, and Reed is focusing with our blockers and our middles. Um, but then, you know, when we get into practice, we all kind of have to have our hands in everything. It's just uh, it's kind of the way it's been going. Um, what was the second part you were asking? Well, and how does that structure what you're being asked to do here at the national team? You as a coach, how do you take that back to your university? Yeah, you know, I think it's a pretty similar structure in college. You have two assistants also, you know, so, like, I've got Ron Larson's assistant. He's, he's okay. You know, he knows a little bit he's about He's got a couple of years on him. Yeah, yeah, he's got some experience, so he's, he's doing a great job with our setters and, and making spin on defense. So it's a pretty similar structure. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for your time. Yeah. So I'm going to put that on. As hey, uh, good opportunity there to hear from Tom Black. And an opportunity for you, if you're in the Southern California area ever, and the national team is practicing, you can go into the gym. They made this announcement at the event, and I don't know if people were listening, but you can go into practice. You can watch practice. You can talk to Karch. You can talk to Tom. You can talk to any member of that staff after practice, please. Don't walk up to them in the middle of the <laughs> <Yeah>. drill. <laughs> but after practice, these people are more than happy to speak to you. You talk about the accessibility of, of beach athletes just in the, the way the tournament is structured. These guys are available every day, too. Not beach sure. athletes at their practice, you go down and say hi to them. Not while they're, spot, they're hopefully, sliding out, hopefully spiking. But go down and say hi to these folks. If you have a question for one of these people, go offer to buy them lunch. I'm sure Tom Black will go to lunch with you. He's not making that much money at either place. He'll take a free lunch. <laughs> and give him a hug. See how that goes over. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a young family. He can save money on lunch. No, that's pretty amazing that, that, that they are opening it up like that. And it, to me, it makes complete sense. I mean, why wouldn't you? You want to develop... A bigger fan base. You want to be, you know, uh, more friendly to the public, and it's. I think it's a brilliant idea. Yeah, it's something that has to be done, and a unique aspect of volleyball currently. I think has always been a unique aspect of volleyball. Uh, we were talking off air, and I was wondering if uh, you had ever seen some of the great volleyball movies. I know you were in. Did you say great volleyball movies? Yeah. <laughs> Did I say great? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just being a volleyball homer at that point. Yeah. Uh, side out. You're inside out. Right. Yeah. Okay. Spiker. Spiker. I asked you if you'd seen it. You said, I think so. <laughs> I think I saw it. It's the one Al's in, right? Is that the one? This is with Coach Domes. This is the Doug Beal, uh, Coach Domes, uh, Catch Facelli 
set of carts yeah, dry. Right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and uh, I forget the other guy's name, but there are cameos from the entire basically 84 team, Rod Wild and Karch and Steve Timmons, Craig Buck. They're all in it. I can put it up. Poor Part Rod. The show, yeah, I will Rod put it broke on. his leg. Oh, it's That's awful. how Marlowe made it back onto the team in 84. It's an unfortunate twist of fate God. for uh, Rod. Yeah. And a good one for Marlowe. Sorry, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it covers it in its own awful way. It covers that time period when there were some choices being made about indoor national team and the emerging beach volleyball scene. It's, what was that like to be a part of that thing? It started before that. Okay. Because you remember the national team before that was was stationed in Ohio. Right, in Dayton, Ohio. I hear about it from Sunderland all the time. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and Sunderland was one of the first guys from the West Coast to go back and join the team because most West guys, West Coast guys wouldn't do it, the top players. It right. Just, it, you know, it's like it's cold what? back there. Oh, my God. There's no sun. <laughs> so so they actually made the decision to, to go out of the way to attract some of the West Coast players to go back there in 1979 to join the national team to try to qualify for the 80 Olympics. And so they they enticed, not with money, I assure you, <laughs> but, but they enticed me, Hovland, Pat Powers, Dusty Dvorak, um, to name a few, and some of the guys from Ohio State, Aldi and... and uh, Aldis Berzins, yeah. Yeah, and Waldy, Mark Waldy, and Duilius, and... Rich DeWilliams? Rich, okay. baby. Rich, tremendous athlete. But he was he was a little different from most of the guys. I got along great with him. Uh, but he could do things that nobody could do. He was so physical. You know, at that time, he could hit the bick that, that people weren't hitting. It, he was he was tremendous. But So they attracted all of us to come back to Ohio. A little harder for us from the West Coast than the guys from Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and we trained, and we didn't. You know, the boycott happened, and they realized at that point it, they had to move the national team out to the West Coast because that's where the majority of the players were from. And they finally did. They moved down to San Diego. So everyone joined the team uh, who could, you know, who was good enough. They went through all the trials. The, the bummer was they just didn't have a lot of money, and we ended up, there were probably 10 of us in a, in a two-bedroom condominium, most of us sleeping on the floor in sleeping bags. But it really didn't matter. To us, eating at soup plantation. I mean, it was in, yeah, yeah, exactly. But it was it was in San Diego, California. It's not that bad. So we would go. I mean, Doug doesn't like to hear this, I'm sure, but we would go to practice every day from eight to twelve, and then he he'd try to kill us because that's what Doug did. He did that practice. later too. That yeah. was that was a a Dougism. And then, and then Karch and I and some of the other guys from the team would go down to South Mission, and we'd put on a weight belt. And we'd play against whoever wanted to play against us because we were a little better than most of the guys at that time. With the weight belt on. With the weight belt on. <laughs> awesome. So we would play for, I mean, after a big submarine sandwich from the market right there, <laughs> uh, we, we'd come out and we'd play for four or five hours. And then we were required to go back and lift weights. And we'd go back and lift weights for another hour, two hours. And we Man, you must have been in some physical shape. And we did this every day. And guess what? We loved it. We absolutely loved it. It was so much fun. I mean, it was in San Diego. I mean, you know, and we were sleeping on the floor in the condominium. Didn't matter. It was absolutely awesome. 
Now, you and Karch have a history playing tournaments together. You you barely overlap at UCLA, but how did you guys end up playing beach tournaments together? A- a- after we had all the success at UCLA, that his freshman year, my senior year, we went undefeated. We won the NCAA championships. We went right to the beach and started playing in the beach events. And remember, they were all amateur events, basically. There was no prize money. Maybe you win a volleyball or a beach chair or something. Violation. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mark it down. I'll have yeah. the NCAA investment. Then was already out of college at that point. But of Good course we didn't accept it. Of course, of course not. not. Of course not. Of course we did. So, but it was in the, the beach tournaments at the time, even though they're amateur, there's still thousands and thousands of people coming down to watch. And we would go out and we would play and we would win just about everything we played in. And we'd go back to the national team and practice when we had to practice, and we kept it secret that we were playing on the beach all this time. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, uh, eventually I, I left the national team, and not by my choosing. I, I, I don't know how to explain it other than Doug and I didn't see eye to eye on things. But at the same time, in about a year's period of time, Randy was on the national team, Mike Dodd was on the national team, Tim Hovland was on the national team, and the four of us, we're all off the national team for various reasons, you know, during that, like, you know, 80, 81, 82 period of time. So they're, they're, well, we all, of course, concentrated on the beach after that, and then shortly after the AVP formed, and then yeah. we, you know, battled against each other on the AVP. Okay, I often hear about the 80 women's team that did not get to go to the Olympics because of the boycott. Right. Did you guys not qualify? Would you have been an 80 Olympian if... We, the Olympics had happened for the I, you U.S.? Know, the timing of the qualification, we went to Bulgaria okay. to qualify. Which and, had to be rough in and, 80. And it was like the final. Yeah, it was. It's rough nowadays. <laughs> well, there's other stories that go along with it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing stories, but forget that for now. Uh, so we went there to play in this last qualification event. And while we were there is when, when I believe they – the the boycott happened, or there was discussion of the boycott, okay. and we ended up playing against Bulgaria in a match that we lost. So uh, we probably I don't know I, I I'm not exactly sure, but I kind of think that we may not have gone either way. Um, but the boycott happened while we were playing in that event. Because people forget with the U.S. you have to qualify. I think some remembered last year because the U.S. had to qualify so late, but that the U.S. they just gotten used to being in. You don't get grandfathered in, even if you're the defending gold medalist. Yeah, except in 84 and in 96 when you're the host country. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I'm, I watch our national team sometimes, and I'm going, oh, my God, we may not be in the Olympics. There's right. a chance we're not going to get there. And, and, you know, we've had respectable teams all the way along, ever, you know, ever since I can remember. But there, there's the competition worldwide is so tough that there, it's not a gimme. The U.S., just because it's the U.S., doesn't get in automatically. They have to qualify. There have been some close calls. Oh, yeah. 99, early 2000 against Canada, in Canada. Yeah. I think four sets, but it was close. And they had beaten us earlier in the tournament. And then Cuba, to get into 04, had to go five against Cuba in, like, Puerto Rico. Yeah. So, yeah, a little little bit gnarly to try and get into uh, the Olympics sometimes. You, you know, it's interesting. And, and when I started playing, even on the junior level indoors internationally, and I, I started to realize it there, but more so uh, in 80 and, and during that period of time when I was on the national team, that, that a lot of these Eastern Eastern Bloc teams, the athletes were unbelievable. They were big. They were strong. They were volleyball players. 
and here's the little U.S. team coming up against them. And we were little. I mean, relatively small compared to, you know, all these teams. And we figured out a way to beat them. And I was thinking, why does that happen? You know, are we just better or what? And and I I, I came to the conclusion that these guys from Eastern Europe, the Russians, and they didn't ha- they didn't have a choice to play. Hmm. They were, you know, they grabbed them, they took them when they realized they were going to be tall kids or they were athletic or whatever, and they started putting them through the grind, 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 and they knew what they were going to have to do, and they were there and they were doing their job basically. That was it. We, to be a part of the team, would sleep on the floor of a condominium. We didn't, you know, we didn't care. We we loved the sport. We wanted to play. You know, it 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 was. It was our choice, and that is what I think made the big difference in our success playing against all these bigger, stronger, I don't know if they were better or not, but, you know, teams on paper, you'd think that we would not beat. We were beating them. Well, and you were you were stoked, like, in the beginning of Spiker, where you're getting a letter from USA Volleyball, and you're driving down to the beach in your Jeep, and you huck that letter into the top, and then you <laughs> you arrive at the beach, no warm-up, nothing, just, hey, hey, what's up? Take off, rip off your shirt, and spike a ball. <laughs> That's how it goes, right? That's, That's the opening good. scene of Spiker. Perfect. Well, that that might have been Hav. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think the, the character and, and I, the character that they built up, the kind of uh, there's Catch Pacelli, who's the the heroine, uh-huh. and then there's the other guy who gets goes to the beach. Yeah. Well, I, I think they probably combined uh, several players that eventually ended up on the beach to make that one character. And that guy disagrees with Coach Domes, a.k.a. Douglas P. Beal, mm-hmm. and uh, has his run-ins with him, including a thing that, that allegedly took place, I think, in Poland, where he shows up with a couple of chicks to the dinner, the team dinner. He brings a couple of Polish ladies in to that. Uh, something like that. Who did that? Ever happen? Was that Catch Cavelli or the no, other guy? No, the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> the other guy. Yeah, I'm going to have to look up. It's, I forget the other guy's name, but... Uh, I, yes, I've actually saw it. I actually saw it happen with us. But there, there's yes, certain things like that may have happened. <laughs> Can't <laughs> confirm or deny, Kevin. You know, Doug at that time was a pretty serious guy. Well, I don't, uh-huh. think, I don't think he's changed at much. that time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and he didn't understand how we could. And this is my own personal experience, and and it's my opinion, how we could work hard, give everything we could to the game. And go out and have fun also. I, d- I just don't think he, it was part of his DNA, his makeup, to get what what it was to be, uh, you know, fun-loving but incredibly competitive and, and uh, you know, able to work really, really hard. Because I, I remember on the team, you know, everybody complained how Doug was so hard. I, I never saw it. I, I felt like, bring it and bring more. And when you're done thinking you've killed me, I'm ready to go for more because nice. I, I loved hmm. it. I, I just and I don't think he understood that even how he could run us through all this stuff and then have us come back for more with a smile on our face. It killed him. I think he would have been great in the Russian system where he had <laughs> yeah. guys that just you know that's what you did. You know, say yes, okay, yes, coach, yes, coach, yes, coach, and we, you know. Some of us had ideas that maybe Doug didn't agree with, but we weren't afraid to express those ideas about how the team might be better, how we could do certain things, or it was okay to have fun. He didn't get that. <laughs> Sonny Reston was the other guy that, ah, they, okay. that they created. Uh, Patrick Hauser actually played catch for Chili. All right. <laughs> 
Yeah, Sonny, I think, was a combination of several players who, who obviously didn't end up being on that 84 team. But had their run-ins with Coach Domes. Yes. Uh, okay, so I, I wanted, before the break of promo, wanting you to take us through the late years of the AVP. This is 90, 95, 96, 97, your understanding of it. It's, it's hard not to go back further than that. Okay, good. Because, uh, you know, Leonard Armato came to us in, in 1983 when there were a couple professional events and there was a promoter kind of, uh, let's just say at the time, we felt taking advantage of who we were without really working together with the players. So Leonard came and said, you guys can own your sport. And and we said, really? How? And he goes, I'll do it for you. And we went, great. He let us use his offices. He 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 did everything, everything for us to help develop the AVP and build the AVP. And and we we worked with him too. I I, I can remember going with him to Miller Beer and going with him to NBC and going with him. And and they needed to see that the players could actually communicate and were personalities and everything else. College educated. Yeah. So we helped him in, in that way, but. It was all about him, and there was nobody at the time who could do what he did. And in fact, I believe at any time can do what he did and, and what he's doing now again. So he built the sport up. We were making, you know, the prize money was millions of dollars by the time 1990 when, when the player organization that he built for us said, we don't need you. Well, I mean, the child has to leave the parent at some point, right? <laughs> yeah, you could say that. <laughs> So what happened? So he's gone. The players take over. They hire, a, you know, an executive director, a CEO. And in fact, throughout the '90s, they had four different CEOs. Who are these guys? What are the names? Jeff Dankworth, uh, Jerry Solomon, uh, one more in between, and then the one who finally buried the organization was Billy Berger. He was in charge. He said he would save the day for all the players, and, and he wasn't able to do it. And not that he didn't try, and not that he didn't he wasn't good at what he did, but not at the level it needed to be at. Yeah. And, and how did these guys get those positions? Like, where did they come from? Player Here's part of the story. Player organization, basically based on – well, I actually helped them find Jeff Dankworth, the guy that replaced Leonard mm -hmm. Armato. Leonard Armato wanted to own part of the organization, yeah. which, which we all thought – uh, at least I did. I thought, well, you deserve it. You built it. Yeah. You've done all the work. Yeah. We've done nothing but play and take the money that you brought for us. So uh, I'm I'm happy that you would want to be involved in the long, you know, going forward. Yeah. And, and what, 15 percent, 20 percent of the organization? I, I don't really care. And the players, remember, they got to remember, we went from making nothing to having you know millions of dollars in prize money mm -hmm. because of him. So, okay, great. So, uh, for me, it was not a problem. But for the other players, they thought, oh, he's making money, you know, several different ways, and now he wants to own part of it. We don't we don't think that's good. Yeah. And so, so to, <laughs> I mean, this is maybe more details than you need. Leonard said, go out and find uh, a lawyer to look at the contract for this ownership, you know, situation. So, I, I went to UCLA. Jeff Tankworth was uh, a sports attorney at the time. And and I brought him in, let him look at the deal, and he said, okay, you know, yes on certain things, no on certain things. The contract went back to the board. I left town. I came back in town. Jeff Hankworth was 
had now become the Leonard Armato. He was the one negotiating the deal on behalf of the players to to give ownership to Leonard. Mm -hmm. And then Leonard went away because they offered him a deal he could not accept. Yeah. And lo and behold, the guy who negotiated the deal became the CEO. Hmm. Kind of an interesting thing. Interesting. Seems like, hmm. seems like it's not right. But, okay, so that happened. And Jeff went through What year is this? This is 1990-91. Okay. So Jeff was there. A big earthquake in, in, in the valley happened, and he ended up moving out of town. So he left the AVP. They brought That's 94. That's, no, that's the big earthquake. Uh Nor- the Northridge quake yeah, is 94. Okay. So that's, January of 94. Okay. So he left shortly after that because his wife didn't want to go through another earthquake. Okay. <laughs> it was rough. I lived a mile from the epicenter. That was a rough one. Woo! So, so I, I believe right after that was uh, – there may I don't I, I the timeline exactly I'm not sure of but but Karch's agent at the time was Jerry Solomon mm-hmm. and and Karch somehow got him to be the new CEO I don't know if it was right after Jeff or there was a, a period of time before he came in but so so Jerry became and he he started to start to change things and it was interesting because he was owning certain events as a CEO and then Karch was a part of his group, and, and people couldn't figure out how Karch could be part of the group on the board, voting for things for his agent to own, and then he would own part of the event, but it wasn't disclosed. It was it was another interesting time of the sport. Things are still cranking along, though. We're talking 94, 95. The dollars are still there. Yeah. What, what the publicity Leonard, is still there. What Leonard had built wrote, kept writing. Right. No different relationships. It kept writing on based on what he did. And then when the sponsors weren't feeling all the love that they had. They started to back up a little bit and not give as much money. And then, you know, Jerry Solomon ended up leaving. And then uh, Mr. Berger came in and said he would save the day. And, of course, he wasn't able to do it. It was, it was above his grade. And and then it was gone. And I called up Leonard. This was 98. This end, basically. End of the 90s. 97, 98. End of the 90s. So I called up Leonard. I said, Leonard, do you know what's going on with the AVP? And he goes, I don't want anything to do with them. And I go, no, it's interesting. Come take a look at what's happening. And he saw that it was gone, basically. And he saw an opportunity to bring the women together with the men. Yep. So he came in. He, he raised some money, and he started to build it back up. Oh, one. Yeah. So, so he started with a handful of events. He added events each year. Crocs came on board. Yeah. Just based on his relationship, with because them. I think it was Sunkissed originally, yeah, and then maybe Nissan, yeah, and then it was Crocs, yeah, and and with Crocs everything started to to move, and and then by I don't know two years ago or, or something, um, uh, Leonard had made an offer to Shamrock, which is a, yeah, this is two thousand nine or so, right, eight or nine, I yeah, believe. I think it was two thousand eight when they had the eight. Shamrock deal, yeah, Jeremy's there at that point. And Shamrock offered uh, $40 million to buy the AVP and guaranteed four, five, six, seven million million in prize money for the next four years. It seems like, I don't Look at, know. Looking back on it, you're like, wait a second. Can I, can I sign that? Yeah, it seems like, it, and, it, uh, you know, the, everyone has a different view of what actually happened. And, again, I think some people were concerned that Leonard was going to make too much money. I go, what's too much money when you're talking about – 
having a company, a Disney company involved in owning the sport with their venues, with their television, with their right. commercial, you know, expertise, commercialization expertise. I mean, you couldn't have picked a better company to take the sport into the future. Regardless of who makes what, I, yeah, I can understand that some of the investors didn't get, you know, get all their money or enough money or whatever, but the product itself, it was going to go, I mean, had to go in the right direction from that point. So uh, the investors and players basically didn't approve the deal, so that deal went away. The investors were able, at that point, even though Leonard was the owner who brought it out of bankruptcy and brought in the investors, they pushed him out at that point. And then about a year later, yeah, yeah, year, yeah. I think it was 2009 when those new investors kind of came in and pushed Leonard out. It and was then, 2009. And then, and then uh, basically, it went back into bankruptcy. 2010. Long Beach, it ceased operations. After Middle that. of 2010. Middle of, Show of the event. Yeah, this could be the last one. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. And then, and then uh, the guy who controlled, who put it into bankruptcy, and then was able to buy the name out of bankruptcy himself. You know, and now he controls. I don't understand that. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah, but so he controlled the brand. Nothing was happening with the brand, and finally, Donald's son uh, bought the brand uh, last year at some point. Right. Yeah, 2011, I think. Early or late 11, early 12. Yeah. And he, I, I, I don't think he really knew exactly what he was getting into. Uh, I think the people around him probably were, were, were kind of. giving him a flowery view of, of what was ahead potentially for him and, and, and owning the sport. But that said, he was very enthusiastic. He wanted to do something with the sport. He wanted to build it back up. He, he grew up seeing the AVP brand and, and kind of following it. So last year he put on a few events, and I think it cost him you know out of pocket. And this year uh, he's going to try and do the same thing and and upgrade a little bit more. But it it appears as if, and and I keep looking for information, but it's hard to get a lot of information. Mm -hmm. It appears as if he's going to have to spend more money just to stay stay where he is and and move things in a positive direction. So we'll see what happens. And and, uh, there's a lot of other stuff going on kind of behind the scenes that we don't have time to talk about. But... (laughs) You know, it, it's feel free to enlighten us on anything yeah. that uh, that might be interesting. Well, I, I know that bef- that Donald wanted to c- the commitment from the top players to attend his events and not attend any other events, right? Which I don't think is legal, but he, still the players signed a contract and and it created some confusion when the international event came to the United States and uh, what the players were going to be able to play in and. You know, again, there's a lot of things we could talk about based on on that kind of issue because the FIVB they're they're they worry about what they call rogue tours around the world, and if if they if they are telling players what they can and can't play in, not the national governing body, but just a professional tour, then they will blackball that tour. And they will say, if you play in that tour, then you cannot represent your country because you're not going through the national governing body. The national governing body actually says they are not uh, a sanctioned tour. And then the FIDB says, okay, anyone playing in that tour cannot participate in the world tour, which means you cannot get to the Olympic Games. So 
there, there's been a little bit of, of uh, gray water kind of swirling around, you know, the, the AVP and, uh, and participation in the World Tour. But bottom line is all the top players will be there in Long Beach. You told me a couple of years ago you thought the AVP brand would still be the brand for beach volleyball, that it still had value and public recognition enough to to support that value. Do you still think that's the case? I, I, I still think that the general public now, uh, the, the fans of volleyball still see the AVP as the brand. On the corporate level, I think they're tired of hearing about the AVP. Mm-hmm. And what it's going to take to turn that around, I'm not so sure. But but having any kind of uh, fight with any organization is not helping the cause for the AVP. You know, they they should be the ones welcoming everybody and trying to build off what everybody else is doing because I, I, the AVP still is has value again to the general public, but to the corporate world, it's it's got a very diminished value, and they have to do something different to get them to come back. Isn't that contract that they signed with the AVP this year, isn't that similar to a contract that was signed with Leonard Armato? Uh, I, I don't know the details of the contract, but I would suspect that it's at some level, yes. Similar idea. I think there was exclusive deals back in the day, too. But, right. There was a lot of controversy. I remember around 2006 when I first moved here with Todd Rogers and Jason Ring and those guys getting trying to form a players' union and getting quite upset about the player contracts that were being enforced at that point. Well, there was also some issues with, like, there were some FIVB events and AVP events scheduled the same weekend. Right. And some of the top players would be like, I'm playing internationally because that's what I need to do to get to the Olympics. And I remember there being a little bit of drama about that as well. Yeah. The, there. The difference, I think, then and now was that there were millions of dollars at stake from sponsors and television then. guaranteed uh, for the players at right. that time. Yeah. Right. And and Leonard was in jeopardy of losing that if he could not get a commitment from the players. Yeah. Today is a little bit different. They're they're kind of behind a little bit from where they were. A lot a lot of bit. You know, there's there's not a lot there. I mean, I, I think there were some things promised by the ADP last year that didn't actually happen. And, and I think, it, you know, you got to wonder if they don't have a, a major sponsor and they don't have great television, are they going to f- be able to fulfill what they say they can do as far as the number of tournaments, the amount of prize money, and actually build it going into the future? Because, you know, today, and, and I, I want, I, I wish them the best of luck, and I hope it all works out for the ADP because I want the players to be able to play and survive and, and you know as, as professional athletes that's a real issue for them right now yeah absolutely but but based on what the avp is offering you know the players probably should be able to play in whatever they want as long as you know it doesn't conflict with what the avp is trying to accomplish i mean you know even making a few thousand dollars on a, on a on a free weekend sh- you know they should be able to do that at least in my mind and and again the top athletes are one thing, you know, the next tier of athletes are another. I mean, why would you restrict anyone, you know, below the athletes that would, that would? I mean, the top athletes are going to get on television. They're going to be, the, you know, the marquee players. They're going to promote them and everything else. But those other players, they got nothing, you know, and they can't go anywhere. So it's, it's an interesting time. Uh, if the AVP is able to continue to, to write checks, or you know, 
I'm sure they hope they can bring in a major sponsor that can pay for everything and get the right television to warrant that. But until they do, it's going to be a very, very difficult road to, to make things happen. And that's why I think you've got to have the players. The players have to have other opportunities. And, and again, should they be restricted in playing in World Tour events, which is, are the most lucrative events in the world right now? And that is the, the road to the Olympic Games. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough a tough one for the AVP to even consider uh, telling them they can't play on the world tour. You're listening to that live on a Monday. We have special guest host Sinjin Smith sitting in with us here, Jeremy Ruscha and Kevin Barnett. And Sinjin, battles between the domestic entities, domestic tours and the international tour, are nothing new. In 1994, you decided to not take your ball and go home. You decided to take your ball and get on an airplane three-quarters of the time and go play on the FIVB full-time. Why did you make that decision at that point when the AVP was supposedly the preeminent tour in the world for beach volleyball and the FIVB was kind of the upstart? Well, again, we have to go back a little bit further because okay. in, in the mid-'80s, uh, a promoter who from Brazil who went to USC, a tennis player, Fernando von Ortsen, saw what was going on with the sport when he was at USC in college saw the, the events in Southern California and what Leonard was, was doing with the AVP and, and the kind of success. He went back to Brazil, and he proposed a, a, a basically a, a USA versus Brazil exhibition. It was such a huge success that he, he and I went to the FIVB, the International Governing Body, to propose basically a world tour and involve more more countries and a world championships, and, and at that time, Ruben Acosta was the president. Right. He saw the value in this, and I think he was thinking ahead already to the Olympic Games. But uh, he, he agreed, so that was in 87 was the first world championships. And, you know, I played in, in all the first world championships and won most of them, fortunately, so it was, it was a lot of fun. And I was able then also to work with the FIVU to help put together this world tour and, and uh that would that would continue to grow. In 1992, Randy and I committed to Ruben Acosta to play in an event uh, in in Spain alongside the Olympic Games at that time to showcase beach volleyball for the IOC. Mm -hmm. Well, th this this was the first problem for us with the AVP. The AVP said, "No, you can't go," and we had committed two years in advance to go to this event because we knew how important it was. We saw what was happening worldwide. The AVP didn't care. And basically, I'll back up just a little bit. Billy Berger in charge at this no, point? No, no, we're at no, no. 92, so is Jeff Dankworth? Yes. Okay. And, and back up in 90, when Leonard was still involved, yeah. I introduced him to Ruben Acosta. They were having a discussion about building the sport together, the AVP and the FIVB. Oh, my God. So this is like an alternate universe kind of thing. <laughs> at that time, though, Ruben was looking to build the sport. Yeah. And he saw what Leonard had done in the United States. And, of course, the United States is an important country and everything else. So so they were having very good positive discussions about working together to build the sport. What happened after that? Ruben. The AV, AVP tosses Leonard. tosses Leonard. All discussions cease with, with the FIVB shortly after that. The AVP tries to put on events in other countries, AVP events only. They got their hands slapped, and it was a, a big problem from that point on. The FIVB looked at the AVP in a little different way. Um, where were we? Oh, so Randy and I committed to go to 
to to Barcelona to Barcelona to play. It wasn't. It was just outside of Barcelona, but to play in this event to showcase the sport for the IOC. AVP says no, you can't go. We said we committed to it. We're going to go, and and of course the decision was being made by the guys we beat every weekend, and by this Jeff Dankworth who took over for Leonard Amato. Yeah, and so we ended up going. They fined us seventy thousand dollars for going. Seventy. Seventy thousand dollars or total. Total. Still, that was the amount of money. Yeah. We, Regardless, yeah, that was the amount of money that we could win if we went to that event. So, oh. so let's 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 fast forward. My heart hurts right let's now. Let's fast forward. So, Ruben again used me to go with him to speak to IOC members to lobby. To, to, he was friends with Juan Antonio Samaranch. I would spend yes. a lot of time with Juan Antonio, head of the IOC at the time. time. And and. Basically, we were selling them on getting the sport into the Olympic Games, and and after you know several meetings and and other ways of of getting the IOC involved and getting the Atlanta organizing committee involved, they agreed. FIVB built the stadium, mm-hmm. and a lot of other things happened to make that happen because it was on a private piece of property and there had to be a switch and blah blah blah. But we, Ruben was able to get the sport into the Olympic Games in 1996, and, and, and AVP at, played zero role in that. <laughs> in fact, they it did everything they could to, make, could to make it more difficult. So sport became an Olympic sport in 1996, one of the first sports to sell out in the Olympic Games. Huge success from that time on. It's been a huge success in, in the subsequent Olympic Games. Right. How do we get on that? Okay. Uh, well, in 94... You decide to play FIVB alone uh, without no no AVP because you're not well, playing alone. Well, you're playing with Carl Henkel. Okay. So who strangely sent me an email today? Isn't that? Oh, weird? really? That's funny. Since you're on the show, Carl Henkel emails me. Hmm. So uh, uh, in that period of time, uh, already the, the AVP had basically pushed me out. They they, they made my life very. very Did you difficult. pay the fine? No, we ended up suing them, and then they said, "Okay, we dropped the fine." Okay. So, uh, but they kept me and Randy from playing in the most, the biggest event of the season the, that next weekend. Ah, uh, okay. And that hurt a lot. Cause biggest was, event of AVP. Yeah, and that was a hundred thousand dollar prize money. So uh, that that they they accomplished what they wanted to accomplish in, in making it difficult for me and Randy. Um, so the Olympic qualification starts in nineteen, actually the beginning of nineteen ninety five. Okay. And and the AVP is still saying, you know, screw the FIVP. We're the best in the world. We don't need them. We don't care. You know, and it, was, it was very short-sighted in, in, in my view. All Except the, the FIVP has the keys to the car, and the car yeah. is the Olympics. Yeah. Well, uh, to, to Ruben's credit, I mean, the U.S. was going to get one berth in the Olympic Games automatically, okay, as a host country. Right. But we had an opportunity based on the qualification system to get two more teams like every other country in the world, in the into the Olympic Games, and but to do that you had to finish in the top. You had to have one team in the top eight in the world ranking at the end of the qualification. The season. FIVB ranking, the right? FIVB ranking. Okay. And a second in the top twenty-four. Okay. Well, the AVP wouldn't let anyone go. Nobody, zero. So I said, and this is just. <laughs> this happened just after Randy. I, I had retired, and then Randy said he wanted to play with somebody else, and then I came back. I had knee surgery. And so I said, well, I'm going to play in the Olympic qualification. And I started calling guys to play. Ricky Ludi said, yeah, I'll play. 
in the Olympic qualification. Yeah. And I, we, I induced my first Team child. Team UCLA. Yeah. Yeah. I induced my first child on Sunday, the day before my plane flight, so I could see him be born. Hagen. Nice. My son. Nice. And Ricky Ludis had already committed. I get home. To Kudos get to the wife, by the way, for going along with that plan. Yeah. Well, she knew she knew before we got married that I was kind of a volleyball guy, <laughs> <laughs> and my life revolved around the sport. And yes, kudos for her. So, so uh, uh, Ricky, I get a message when I get home from the hospital. I can't go. The F or the AVP will not let me go to the Olympic qualification. And I'm going, Ricky, come on. So I figured, okay, all the AVP guys. This is the story I'm going to get from them. I started calling the four man guys. I made a few calls. First one to return my call that morning was Carl. And I, I said, Carl, you know, there's the Olympic qualification. It starts this week. I'm getting on a plane. Uh, you know, explain the situation. I said, are you interested in coming with me and, and trying to qualify for the Olympics? He said, uh, how, how much time do I have to make a decision? I go, oh, about five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, okay, I'll go. So we ended up going. We started playing in the events to qualify for the Olympic Games. One other team from the U.S. excuse me, from the U.S. went. Carlos Persinio and Jeff Williams. And two oh, more. I did not know that. Two more. That you, no one knows this. I didn't know that part. Very, very important. Yeah. These are four-man guys who are, are good volleyball players. Yeah. Beach volleyball players. And uh, so they and us went through this whole process for a year and a half. Wait, so there was one more team besides Jeff Williams and Carlos? No, 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 no. Okay, just they and So and you and four Carl, guys, yeah, right. Traveled around the world, played in all these events. We finished in the top eight. They finished in the top 24. U.S. not only gets an automatic berth, but they get the opportunity to send two more teams. Had we not played, had Bersini and Williams not played, we would have had one team in the Olympic Games in 1996. Jeez. One team. Nobody knows that. I didn't know that. Nobody. So, so, you know, we did what we had to do, Williams and Presenio, and then they had a, uh, uh, an Olympic qualifying event in the United States for those two other positions. Who held that event? Uh, the FIVB or the USOC no, no, no. or it, it USA was, Volleyball? It was, it was USA Volleyball in conjunction with the AVP. Okay. Because USA Volleyball had nothing to do with beach at that time. Right, and no one wanted USA Volleyball to have anything to do with beach well, at that time. Well, they didn't want anything to do yeah. with beach. You know, it, it, mutual mutual disgust? Yeah. Is that what was happening? So it, it made sense that, that the and, and USOC had to play a role in this as well because it was an Olympic qualifi- qualification event. So Karch and Steffes and Dodd and Whitmarsh were the top two teams that ended up going. To the Olympic Games, and uh, and Randy actually played in that event with Adam Johnson. Okay. And, and Randy sprained his ankle, <laughs> warming up oh, one, for one of the no. games. Oh man! And they had a really good chance of going, you know, qualifying. And, yeah. and this was one of my big peeves about the qualification process was, you know, one event you may not get your best teams. We've talked about this on the show because yeah. the qualification argument are the last Olympics and perhaps the next Olympics, but there's the track and field and the swimming models, which get a lot of attention. Yeah. Okay. For promoting the sport. Great. Fantastic. I, I You know, I'm just saying I, I never thought that it made sense to have a single event that would qualify, you know, in a sport like ours, the, okay. the teams. So it's just, that's just my opinion. Um, so... 
Randy didn't go. Those guys went. We had three teams in the Olympic Games. You, you, some may remember we, uh, Carl and I played against Karch and Kent in the semifinals. Right. Rather contentious match. Yeah, it was. It Fair was, to characterize it, it that was way. Super fun. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong outcome, but super fun. <laughs> you know, Carl was basically a rookie to the beach game. He was he was a great four man player with a lot of support around him. He he didn't have a lot of doubles experience. He came along very very quickly, and you know, we worked together to do that. And actually, Gene Selznick played a, a, a mm. pretty big role in in helping Carl become the player he was. How well. old was Carl then? Uh, Late 20s? Yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. Carl Hankel, good friends and teammates with my brother-in-law. Nice. Yeah. And, and Carl, you know, once we get, you know, on the court against Kent and Karch, uh, just just rose to the occasion. And we controlled the whole match. It was, it was one game to 15 with the old scoring system. You know, he was blocking Karch, and we focused on Karch the whole game because I felt like, I knew how he played the game, and, and we would have success against him. And we did. And, you know, we led the whole game, and right at the end, they turned it around and, and won. So, And we had an opportunity to get back into the medal rounds playing a team we had beat the first match in the tournament, Portugal. And, and, and I, you know, Carl had given everything in that match mm. against uh, Karch and Kent. And when it came to playing Portugal an hour later, he wasn't the same guy he was during that match or in the first match against Portugal. And I knew it. I saw it on his face right when that game ended with Karch. He went over and sat down, and he did this, and I came over to him right away. I mean, seconds after the game, I go, Carl, you gotta not, you got to forget completely about that game because we have an opportunity to come back and get into the medal rounds. And yeah. I was confident we could beat any team in the Olympic Games, any team. And we just didn't have the – the same kind of game, and, and Portugal played incredibly well. They were on a, a little roll. They had beaten, you know, good teams just before that, and we lost. And then Karch and Kent got the gold, and Whitmarsh and Dodd got the silver. And Canada came out of nowhere to get the, the bronze. Figure that one out. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. interesting. Very interesting. All right, here's a question we've had here on the show before, and I think it has an obvious answer, but maybe a not-so-obvious answer. Has beach volleyball benefited from its presence in the Olympic Games? Was that the best move for beach volleyball was to be included in the Olympics? Oh, absolutely. Thank Are you. you kidding? Are you kidding me? I mean, in 1996, again, the Atlanta Organizing Committee was, was very concerned because I, I think – Bottom line is the organizing committees for the Olympic Games. They're most concerned about money. They they come. They want to it, make money. They come into it, you know, behind, and they're trying to make up. And if they have to build a stadium and they don't know how many tickets they're going to sell and everything else, they were very very leery. We actually, the FIVB flew Samaranch and uh, Billy Payne, who was the president of the organizing committee at the time, to Brazil to watch the World Championships. And Ruben put me in charge of Billy Payne. And he said, you know, while he's here, you're with him the whole time. So we went and I showed him. I'd been to Brazil many, many times. I showed him around. We talked about the sport. We talked about everything. And and they, you know, with the other dealings that Ruben had with the venue itself and making sure it wasn't a burden on the organizing committee, they agreed to have the Olympic Games, uh, beach volleyball in the Olympic Games. So it it, it took a lot of work to make it happen, but when it happened, 
one of the first sports to sell out. And that was the key. That was the key going forward. Is it? And you know, I mean, the amount of television coverage they've gotten in all the Olympic Games has been well, it's a fan- phenomenal. Fantastic excuse to sell sex in the Olympics. Yeah, but also male and female. female, and it looks good on TV though too. Like it looks the like the crowd is raging, everybody's having a good time. It does. It's still, the first event to sell it, out. It's way different than a lot of the other Olympic sports. In, in Beijing, the the women's uh, medal match, uh, gold medal match in the rain, first time ever NBC goes an hour without commercials, ever, ever. I mean, what is I, is, is that a message? I mean, that's a, yeah. I mean, come on. And then, well, okay, yeah. but but to the non-obvious answer that I, I think there, there's some things there. It goes into the Olympic Games in '96. Yep. First time that the AVP goes out of business is 1998. Uh huh. Misty and Kerry win in Beijing in '08. Phil and Todd win in Beijing in '08. Mm-hmm. The tour is gone by 10. Yeah. Why hasn't Olympic success, obvious Olympic success, I believe, or agree with everything you said. Hasn't that translated? Why hasn't that translated into professional success in this country? Okay. You, the first thing, in this country. You look at, at many, many countries around the world, and the success is phenomenal. Uh, but they've lost events, yeah. and beach volleyball made money one time. And new events. The, the FIVB has been putting money into beach volleyball right. from other areas of revenue mm-hmm. into the tour mm-hmm. for 20 odd years. Yeah. They 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 went even or or made money some money like 2 years ago. Well, and I, I don't know if they have in the last couple, but I read an article that said that they made money on it finally. They've been putting it and not to say it doesn't have ancillary benefits to the rest of their brand necessarily, uh-huh. but from a raw dollars perspective, it wasn't a money-making enterprise. Well, I I would beg to differ in in all of that information. Great. Okay. Um Initially, Ruben Acosta invested, for sure. He saw the value. He got the sport into the Olympic Games. He invested, invested. invested. Once Swatch came on board as the mm-hmm. tour sponsor, very early on, you could argue that the FIVB was making money. Okay. Okay. And particularly in in the last years of the Swatch contract, there was definitely, in, in other, other ways, that they were making money with the fees from the promoters and so on and so forth. They were, and they were, and there were ways they could have made even more money by uh, not doing the things that they do to help really promote the sport and paying the money they pay to the promoters and the television and everything else. But yes, they were making money for a handful of years for sure while under the Swatch contract. Okay. Okay. The again. Way more information than I think the general public needs to know or wants. Oh, we, to know. we talk to volleyball people, not the general public. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the, the the Swatch people wanted to continue. When uh, this when, is recently, yeah, last year, when Ari Grassa came on board as the new president of the FIVB, which I think was the right choice for the organization because of his business background, his success with the sport in Brazil, uh, his, his general overall demeanor. Uh, I, 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 he, he makes a very good president as far as I'm concerned. But things change just before he became president and, and, and after in, in the marketing area. And there was a deal signed to change how the marketing is done, and I won't get into details, but, but that didn't allow Swatch to continue, and they haven't replaced Swatch. Okay. So now That has to leave a pretty sizable hole. Now they're back to investing money. They believe, though, and the marketing people believe that there's a big upside, you know, based on how successful the sport has been worldwide with 
the world tour, the various right. countries putting on events, and the television that goes all, goes all the way around the world uh, for those events. Okay, how about in this country? This country now. <laughs> why why do we not have success? Here's your question. Why is there not extreme success in this country based on the fact that the Olympic Games have been so successful and the American players have been the highlighted teams in those games? Absolutely. It's much – well, there's there's several answers, I'm sure of it. Uh, one is the success in the other countries is different than, than what's going on here because the cities in those countries are the biggest sponsors of events. They put in the – Things big, like Klagenfurt. Yeah. They put in the money. They support the events. You come to the U.S., you're, it's reversed. You're paying the cities right. all that money to have an event, and that's the the, the – biggest expense, basically, of putting on an event. So extremely difficult to put on an event at the level of a Grand Slam in our country. Okay, mm -hmm. so, so having those events is very difficult. Leonard's doing it. He figured out a way to do it. He's going to have success. Hopefully he continues to do it. Why doesn't the national sport, uh, why don't they have success based on what's going on worldwide and all the covers the, that the Olympics had on NBC in our country? Um, it, it takes a special person to sell the sport in this country based on how difficult it is. We have a lot of competition with all the other sports. And the only one that has had success doing it, the only one, is Leonard. Right. And he's a little bit soured about putting on a tour. He's, he's had problems couple times. <laughs> Even though he's had a tremendous amount of success doing it, more success than anyone else trying to put on a, a tour with beach volleyball in this country, he is, is not thrilled about doing it again. Okay. But he saw this opportunity to put on an incredible event that's gonna, that got NBC interested and got you know the other sponsors he's attracted very interested. So now he has a, a, a new kind of formula that he came up with. I helped him a little bit, but it was it was his idea. But he's the only one, only one in this country that's been able to bring the kind of dollars to the sport that are necessary to make it successful. There isn't anyone else that's proven that they can do that. And and because he, and again, you go back because of what's happened in the past, he's not that excited about doing it again. So. Unless somebody else steps up or, you know, that's able to bring in millions of dollars in, in, in resources to put on a tour, we're going to have a very, very hard time building a tour up again and getting the sport where we think it should be based on the success it has internationally and in the Olympic Games. And a part of that component of, of being able to attract a promoter and sponsors and television is, is the sport itself. And this, I'm kind of going into a different area here. And, Keep flowing. And and the and to me the biggest thing outside of everything else is the players. Are the players. If the players can't come together as as a group and support the sport in, in the proper way, it'll it'll be fractionalized and there will be factions and you, it'll be very difficult to get anyone to support the sport. It seemed to me, we were all on the same page with Leonard. We realized he was the brains behind the operation. We weren't stupid enough to think that we could do this, but we knew he could do it, and he proved to us he could do it. 
now the players are not all on the same page. So, and that's what the AVP is trying to do now is to buy the players basically and get them on the same page. It can't, they can't buy everybody though. Who needs to change? Is it the top level players? Is it the mid level players? The is it the top guys? Uh -huh. They need to make some different choices. Well, they all can't think that the sport is all about them. They have to realize our sport isn't, you know. This is a common reoccurring theme in this sport, is exactly it not? Exactly right. Exactly. Each collapse is the players being put in charge? Uh-huh. It seems like it. I don't know. Take a look at history. <laughs> hey, I've said for a long time, players play and play, players are really good at two things. Yeah. Playing their sport and complaining. Yeah. <laughs> They're not good at doing anything. Yeah. They play their sport. That's all they know how to do. They don't know how to do anything. They know how to tell you you suck at it, yeah. but they don't know how to do it. Fix it. But you've said it on the show before. When you were a player, you complained like that, and nobody saw the other side of it after you were done playing. Answers. Well, of course. The problem was I had the answers. Yeah. So they see it from the player side, which is understandable because that's all they know at the moment. My thing is I see a lot of players in their late 20s, early 30s who sound like me at 23. I had all the answers. I had every, if you wanted to run a successful professional tour, get the national team gymnasiums packed, and, and make international volleyball a big deal, come to me. You knew all the answers. I knew all <laughs> Turns out <laughs> I didn't have the answers. But I keep hearing this theme, and I've heard it about the initial collapse in the middle 90s, that the players all of a sudden were in charge and making decisions that the players thought they should be making when really you should have business people making those decisions. Yeah. And now... Again, we see players pushing to dictate more policy to whoever it is, the AVP, the FIVB, or the USOC or USA Volleyball. And again, I am left very concerned for what's going to happen because you cannot put these people with their limited experience in life and virtually zero experience in business in charge. Yeah, and, and, and yes, and the players made a lot of decisions, including bringing in the people that they wanted to run the organization, but ultimately they had control over those people. Um, they just, they weren't capable of doing it, the people that they brought in. They weren't, they, they didn't have what it took to, to revive, you know, build the sport back up, uh, bring it to a level that, that we all expect it could be at. But again, going back to the players, the top players all thought that they were the answer individually. Yeah. I, this is again. It's kind of my opinion based on what I, I saw and what I heard. You have a little experience, though, yeah. to base your opinion on. Yeah, and and I, I, w I was smart enough to realize I didn't know everything. I knew I could contribute, and there were ways I could contribute as a player, and, and even helping market and promote and everything else. And and I did everything I could, and and was pretty good at it. But I I knew I wasn't the guy. We needed the guy, and the players. Some, well, the players today, I believe still think they're looking after themselves individually yeah and aren't aren't willing to get together as a group give up trying to own the sport themselves hand it over to somebody who understands business understands marketing understands that. promotion but understands it for volleyball because it's different for volleyball than other sports beach volleyball and and again you just look at history who, who is the one individual that's been able to do that over the, the history of the professional side of our sport? And that's been Leonard Amato. And, and you know, if you think he made too much money or you think he was kind of hard or this or that and the other, go back and look. What do you want? What, do you want to have success? Do you want to have an opportunity, a platform to play, to make money, to get sponsorship dollars, everything else? 
Well, then find the right person who can do it. I'm not selling Leonard Armada because he doesn't want to do it. He does not want to be put in the position of, of you know, trying to do something for this group of players and then getting screwed. Again, that's my opinion. But, you know, he, he may tell you something a little bit different, but that's just my opinion based on what I know from him and what I know from the sport throughout all those years. From what I have limited information, but it's always seen that Leonard takes care of Leonard. Yeah. He does a good job of taking care of himself in whatever the situation is. Uh-huh. But, to your point, no one else has been able to sell the sport and produce the kind of revenue and opportunity for the sport that he has over and over again. Uh-huh. So if, if you had, you you have to take one with the other. If if you were looking at hiring somebody to run your company, and you knew you had, were going to have to pay a lot of money to this one guy, but you knew you were going to have success, versus you know maybe this guy might have success, maybe it's going to be cheaper though. What do you do? Well, companies make this mistake all the time. Yeah. They want to save money, yeah. but they want quality employees who are loyal and, yeah. and put out their best. Yeah. Well, if you want that, you had best pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and again, even back to the first time when Leonard said he wanted to own part of the organization, my feeling was awesome, but we want to make sure that you stay with the organization. We don't want you to own it and just collect. We want you to continue to work and build like you've been doing from the from day one. And he, he was totally good with that. But the players thought that, God, look at where the sport is. It's so great. It can never end. It, it'll just keep growing. We can get more money. We can pay ourselves more. We, you know, we don't, the sponsors are, they're guaranteed. Well, nothing's guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed. <laughs> and it's been proven over and over and over again. It's just like an athlete thinking they can play forever. You know, as an athlete, you're making money at any sport. Yeah. You're making money, good money, so you, you, you spend your money based on what you're making. But if you don't look at the future, at some point, and it could be tomorrow, your career could end. And oh, now, I know. And now, and now, what do you got going forward? If you don't make plans for the future as, a, as an athlete, just like the sport, then, then you're, you're, you know, you're going to be in trouble. And we didn't do that. There were certain groups that didn't do that with our sport. They just thought, ah, it's automatic, it's here, it's going to continue to grow, no problem. And, whoop, there's a problem. A couple of times. <laughs> yeah. What's the solution now? What's the, what's the ideal role Today? forward for, for beach volleyball? If beach volleyball is going to become a commercial success again in this country, what are the one or two things that you think have to happen? Well, I think the players have to come together as a group, and they have to be on the same page. So a union. Yeah, I, I, yeah, a union of some sort. Yes, somebody has to give them uh, quality information about how to make decisions as well as a as a group. I don't think there's one player out there that has the answers. Maybe they think they do, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the problem. Pretty sure some of them think they do. Yeah, but it, but it usually revolves around them. And what's in it for them personally? You know, if if and, and players get jealous when somebody else has success, so they're going, "I want part of that. I want part." Well, if any player has success, it's going to trickle down to everybody else. If Kerry Walsh Jennings <laughs> hyphen hyphen gets gets on television, 
All on right. the Today Show 65 and, times, and if, and if, giving birth. And if there's a, a second-seated team, third-seated team, fourth-seated team goes, oh, damn her. How could she? Oh, why can't I get that? I want that. Why don't I get that? This, that, and the other. They don't realize they're benefiting from that. Right. She's exposing the sport to more people, to more sponsors, to more mm-hmm. television, and she's a great representative for the sport. I mean, she she communicates very, very well. She looks the part. She's a tremendous athlete. I mean, all the players should be should be applauding her and encouraging her to do more and more and more to expose how great this sport is because that's what she does. Yeah, she's getting a lot of attention, but there there isn't many other people in our sport that can do what she does. Take advantage of her. Help her, promote her to do all that stuff because it's going to benefit everybody else. It's like Tiger Woods in golf. He's yeah. good for the sport. Everybody else is making more money. He's yeah. the only reason golf is around. And 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 are there not people that are completely jealous of One hundred percent. Yeah, but but somehow, some way, they're holding it together as a group, and somebody's doing the right thing to to encourage Tiger and to promote Tiger at least in the past. Yeah. Does Carrie need to be held to that same standard, though, where she needs to support policies that don't necessarily benefit her pocketbook and in some cases would go entirely against her pocketbook, and has she done that? Well, let's just say she didn't. Let's just say she did everything that just benefited her. Everyone would still benefit. She's raising the platform for everybody else because not everybody can afford Carrie. They may be able to afford the second seat or the third, or the fourth, or the fifth. Right. All different levels of sponsorships are, will be available when they see this gal uh, you know, in the public eye. Everyone else is going to want to play off what she is, and not everyone can afford her. So everybody down the line will benefit at some level. So now, if she's a, of a certain personality and with, with uh, you know, a smart enough to understand and willing to, promote the sport in general, I mean, outside of what she does just for herself, which is fine, absolutely fine, everyone will benefit, then she can really do, create a big, big benefit for the sport in promoting the sport generally for everybody. And she's been doing that, by the way. She's been doing that for this World Series event coming up in Long Beach, and I think she does a pretty good job of it generally on her own without anyone telling her to do it. That makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Got a couple questions on the face on our uh, chat board. Um, we always go back. You hear it on here, like, oh, side out scoring, rally scoring. What's better? Blah 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 blah. You played both, obviously. Um, I'm not gonna get into, like what you what's better, this or that. But what do you think? Um, maybe which is which one's better for the sport? I guess. Well, uh, first I'll, I'll answer it that will appease I think some of the people that yeah. are asking the question. And and my answer to to the people asking and and wanting and 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 loving or liking playing the old scoring system mm-hmm. is go ahead, continue to play it, enjoy it. You could you could you know most of the people up and down the coast and all around the country when they play, they can decide on any mm-hmm. rules they want to play in. If you're going to play in a, in the highest level event, I mean it's just a very very small percentage of people, then you're going to end up playing the rules generally that the FIVB puts forward. Mm-hmm. And the FIVB made a decision to go to the, the fast scoring or the, you know, because the big reason for, for, for beach volleyball was 
you could not get the game to to fit into a certain time frame. Mm-hmm. For our sport to grow worldwide, we needed to be able to televise it, and they weren't willing. Our sport just isn't big enough, and it's you know, not enough people are on board. But we had to make it interesting for the general public within a certain time frame, and that's why they went to the new scoring system. Yep. Again, if you don't like it, if people playing you know on the weekends or during the play the old, it's no, there's no problem. Yep. The same for the court size. I mean, there was a decision to to make the court smaller because they thought. And, and I, I played a pretty big role in this that because I played on the big court. Mm-hmm. I made a living for a lot of years of putting the ball away on the big court. And, and I had a lot of success at that. But I realized that it wasn't interesting for the general public and the new fans of yep. the game to see side out, 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 with no, no digs, no, you know, no defense plays if we made the court smaller. It was inevitable that there were going to be more more digs. So that's why they made that change. The FIB and then and then you know in the United States they follow the rest of the world follow. But if you like playing on the big court, nobody can stop you from doing that. Go ahead, go for it, play, enjoy the game the way that I played it yep. for most of my career. It's no problem. It's exhausting playing yeah. on that big court playing but, twos. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and remember that at, at the highest level, the guys that can really jump serve, they could win a game based on jump oh, yeah. serves, and and they would score half their points yep. on jump serves, and right, that was... really wasn't that interesting for the general public. You were saying? No, I just Brian Lewis. Yeah, just go well, back and one of those away. guys who was ripping jump servers well, uh, back in the day. Loyal and Emmanuel, the team that comes to mind because they were both fantastic jump servers on the thirty by thirty, thirty by sixty court. They could rip their serves where they wanted, and they, you, you just, they would win games based on serving mm-hmm. alone. And I, I didn't think that was that exciting. And I also thought that – and I played the, the shorter court yep. later on in my career. I was able to touch more balls. Of course. To get more balls up. Television – and a big reason why we, we, we started to, to try to figure out how we could make the, boring, the game more interesting, the best promoter in the game worldwide was the guy from Clogaford. And he said, I love your sport. He had the biggest event. He had the most successful event. He said, I love this sport. Television loves the sport, but only when there's action. And there's just not enough action. We're going to go away from the sport and do something different. And I said, don't go away. Let us try and figure out how we can make the sport more interesting to the public. Mm -hmm. See if we can create more defense. And I came up with two different ideas for the FIVB. One, the higher net. and, And two, the shorter court. And I proposed both of them to do together to really make a, a, a dramatic change. And at the time, Ruben Acosta, the president of the FIVB, said, it's too much to change at once. Pick one. I said, okay, the court. Yep. He goes, okay, boom, we're going to change the court size. He realized he was you know, clever enough to understand that we needed, we needed more people to follow the sport. We needed the sport to be more interesting. And, and he, he saw how... You know, it could change the game if there was more defense. Yep. So that's how that came. Again, for the G, for the G, the players that grew up playing on the big court, me one of them. If if you want to play on the big court, go ahead. Yep. Go go at it. <laughs> you know, you, you don't go down to the beach and somebody takes your lines and hands you a new set of smaller lines. Right. You, yeah. <laughs> generally, you're bringing your own lines anyway in a lot of the beaches, you know, around the country. So you can put down anything you want. We could put down a triangle. Want to play that? Yeah, right. No problem. Did you train hey. differently? Because I feel like a lot of players like the endurance part of it. Oh, because of the scoring. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
indoor, we trained the same for a long time, even though Doug said we were going to change. We didn't change. We did the same stupid stuff for four hours worth of volleyball, but it's really a much smaller game. Nowadays, they train much differently. Gotcha. Yeah, on the beach, the guys are training and doing what they think they need to do. Not only are the games shorter, but they're not required to play that many games in a day. That's true. The Olympic and Games, the easiest tournament oh around, yeah, one, is what the one beach match players a day say. If you're, if, Every other day. If you get screwed, maybe, I mean, in an extreme situation, you might play two matches in a day. Good Lord. You know? Man, could you imagine two oh, in a day? heavens. But, uh, I mean, you remember. Double his victories at this point. <laughs> you remember, <laughs> we would play eight, nine, ten hours in a day in a tournament. We'd play a 64-team or more With weight belt. bracket yeah, <laughs> in two days. Yeah. In two days, 64-team yep. double elimination bracket. And we'd play two out of three to 11 in the winner's <laughs> bracket. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. But that's what we did. And, and, you know, the new kids that are playing today, the younger players, they don't know anything other than the quick scoring or the short court. And they don't they they don't complain. They they don't care. Yeah. I mean they're doing what they grew up learning how to do and it's not a big deal for them. We're gonna take a short break here. We'll be right back with Sinjin Smith who uh walked uphill both ways to the tournaments when he played them. <laughs> in the in the snow, in but the, it was in the summertime. In the snow. I don't know how that worked. Well he wasn't he was in Ohio there for a short stint. We'll be right back on the net live on a Monday. On the glittery sands of Long Beach, California. The top beach volleyball players in the world will compete to be the true champions of the game. For the first time in a decade, these elite masters of the sand gather on U.S. soil for the ASICS World Series of Beach Volleyball. Step up your game in a week-long festival celebrating all things beach, including sports, music, culture, and community. As the professionals buy for half a million dollars in prize money, fans will have the opportunity to compete in several open tournaments throughout the week. Sanctioned by the FIVB, the sport's international governing body, this ultimate beach showdown takes place July 22nd to the 28th. Visit WSOBV.com for details. It's the ASICS World Series of Beach Volleyball. Ninety seconds. The tale of a boy with no love for his life. One hand and a jet to the RCO site. Beneath his potential, he need a rug and the meanest of men, all the meanest of men. Jane Collymore for you. Be sure to check her out if you're in the Seattle area. And maybe, just maybe, down here at the World Series of Beach Volleyball. Make sure you go to the World Series of Beach Volleyball. Brought to you by ASICS. It's going to be an incredible event. And don't, not only go, but what St. John Smith told you earlier. Go and play. 
Be a part of it. Play yeah, no for it. Play six minutes. Ten seconds. And ignore that because sometimes we go a little long and Blog Talk Radio gets a little aggravated and they're going to say goodbye, but we're not going to say goodbye. You should still be able to hear us and certainly will be able to hear us via podcast if you miss the very end of this program. So ignore the very nice British-sounding lady from Blog Talk Radio. We'll see if she kicks us off. See, we had ten seconds. But I don't think it's going to happen. Well, we're, I can still hear us, so we're fine. Yeah, we're, st- <laughs> we're still recording. Yeah, we're, we're still, still recording, here. so it could be a bonus edition for people on the podcast. Do you have any predictions for who wins this World Series of Beach Volleyball? No, you you know, um, it's it's our top teams against the world ranking top teams. So us. What are you taking us or the world? Uh, the interesting thing about big events, major events, one-off kind of special events is it it doesn't always end up being the way it you think it would be on, on paper. Yeah. So, you know, for instance, Carrie's playing and and Carrie's starting, you know, she's just starting her comeback. Took right? ninth inch shot. Yeah, and and she may not be in perfect condition when this event comes around, but because it's a a, a very special event and there's a lot of hype around it, some people rise to the occasion. She might go all Carl Henkel. Some people <laughs> fall under pressure because it's a special. All the eyes are on this one. You know, it's one thing to play throughout an event, and you know, you're playing each day in a couple matches a day, and you get to the final, and, and you know, you, you you've got all this gearing up towards this thing. Here's a one-off kind of match or a couple matches, and all the attention's on, and and just some people are better, and I. I I, I mentioned this on the blog to the FIVB that um, that in those like the World Championships, I, I you've got to really watch out for the veterans because they know what to do under under special circumstances. They have the experience. Teams that don't have a lot of experience are just playing their normal game, but sometimes the normal game isn't enough, particularly with more people watching, bigger television, more pressure put on them from their from their national federations. Uh, it's just different. The feeling is different. There's more pressure. Some people rise to the occasion. So I, I would bet on Carrie because, you know, she's had enough experience for everyone else put together. She knows what it's like to play in a, in a gold medal match and then, more importantly, win a gold medal match. Or three of them. Yeah. So, so you know, the most important thing for, for anyone playing is not to change their game when they get to the final is to continue to play. Don't let the extra pressure, you know, change your game. You've got to play like every point is the first point of the game, and you go for it. When you get to the end of the game, it happens to so many people, you don't blast your serve. You don't, you know, you things change because it's at the end of the game. You haven't experienced that, so you're, you're, you just feel the pressure. But if, if you played like there was no pressure, you're going to play way better. It's hard to do. How much time are you spending with young athletes these days? Uh, tons. I, I, I run camps uh, from San Diego to Santa Barbara all summer long and some of it year-round. And I see kids from 7 years old to 14 year old, years old, and then I have some elite camps for the older high school kids. So I see kids all the time. And, it, it, you know, <laughs> what people don't understand, this is true for any sport for kids. You know, we, we can make – you know, at the younger levels, you're just giving them the skills, and they're developing, they're growing, everything. You, you you can see that there's some talent in some kids, and 
you're not sure about others, you can never know, actually, until they get older, if, if they're going to be. I, mean, I, I told you the Pat Power story, I think, and I'll tell you again, but I want to finish this story. <laughs> <laughs> Our you, listeners probably haven't heard the Pat yeah. Power story. You, you have 100 kids. You line them up, and, and they're all different kinds of kids. And you know how parents are. They think their kid's the one. Yes. And they're going to do everything Especially they can. baseball parents. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so you line them all up. You give them all the exact same coaching. Right, exact same coaching. You know, some kids are going to end up at the top. Some kids are going to end up at the bottom. And you could you could take that kid at the top. Don't give him any training at all. He comes to the sport. She comes to the sport. A year later, two years later, they're still going to rise to the top. Right. Because they, they have the mental. They have the physical. This is the all, argument against youth sports. It doesn't. Actually. It doesn't happen all at the same time for all kids. But you've got to realize that you may want your kid to be the best, and they will improve, and, and, and any help they get along the way is going to help them improve. But you cannot take them just because you want them to be the best and make them the best. They have to have something else going on, and that's something God-given. You're given from your parents when you're born. And, and you know, I mean, that's the bottom line. You can always make the kid better, but you can't make them the best. The kids that are going to be the best are going to be the best. It's going to happen some way, somehow, you know. And, it, and, it, and again, it happens at different times. Pat Powers. I saw Pat Powers in high school playing. And, and the, for those of you who don't know who Pat Powers is, I'll, it, you'll, I'll get to that point. But playing in high school, I, it was comical to watch him play because he was all arms and legs. We all seen those kids that are all arms and legs and not everything's together yet. He would go up to try and spike the ball. Sometimes he'd spike the ball on his own side of the net. <laughs> I mean, it was absolutely amazing, but he was this tall, gangly kid. And, and you, if you had to bet, was he going to be something special? You'd say, mm, no chance in the world, no chance in the world. Well, Pat loved the sport. He continued to play and develop. He ended up going to SC by the time he was a senior at USC. He was the best outside hitter in the country. It took him, you know, throughout college to get to that point. Yeah. Four years later, the 1984 best outside hitter in the world. Opposite. Outside hitter. I thought he played opposite. Uh, he, I, I remember distinctively he, him hitting on the left side, but he may, he, it may be. Well, you know, I can see him. Because Burzes and Karai are on the left. You're right. He did play on the right. Yeah. 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 So, either way, he's an attacker, best in the world. Yeah. Unstoppable. Yeah. And, and again, you look at him in high school or before, you would not have bet any money on him to be a special kind of a player. So, you know, parents have to remember that, too. I mean, you can't give up on a kid when they're, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old because they don't have it all together at that point. Yeah. You know, if they love the sport, give them the opportunity to continue to develop. But don't kill them. they got to love it. It's not going to happen if they don't love it. Yeah, kids are always so different. You, when you're a parent, you have a couple of them, you realize how different they are. What, oh. what are the differences in your three? Oh, Hagen, my oldest, is is a really good athlete. Probably could have played, you know, three or four different sports. And he actually, I, I was encouraging him to play tennis, you know, when he was very young, and he was very good. And his buddies started playing volleyball, and he goes, yeah, can I play with my buddies? And I go, yeah, sure you can, you know, as long as you keep playing tennis. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy well, tennis dad, Sinjin Smith. Yeah, well, the the tennis thing faded away, and, and more of his friends play volleyball. So now, you know, he he continued to play volleyball, and he uh, 
like I said, he got recruited as a libero. He's six foot one. He may be. He may end up at six two. But Taylor Crab, next Taylor Crab. Maybe, maybe. But he he can do everything. He can do anything. And, and more importantly, and I saw this early on with him, he had the right head for the game. Yeah. He, he was very focused. Uh, you know, he loved the game, but he was very focused, and he knew how to do things and get the rest of his teammates to do things and keep them together. So he he he's a special kind of a talent, I think. My my next kid is Pat Powers, the young Pat Powers. Stanton, <laughs> Stanton's 16. He's all arms and legs. Yeah. He absolutely loves the sport, and but he not everything is together yet. And and I see things every day from him, and it blows me away. He the way he moves, his quickness. Even though he's kind of the gangly guy, he's so light on his feet. It's incredible. So I, I I'm just waiting for the time when things catch up to see where you know the kind of when he figures out where his hand is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm familiar with that. I grew quite quickly. I was like, well, my hand is over there. It used to be here. And my youngest, the 13-year-old, little, little Singe, uh, he, he can kind of do anything. But he's he's built like I was, a little, little chubby as a 13-year-old. But he's just starting to grow and change. So, you know, when they're that age, it's so fun to see them change because they change so quickly. Yeah. And And, you know, we don't need to put any undue pressure on them. Like I said, you take all these kids, you line them up, some are automatically going to rise to the top, and the others will, will end up where they're supposed to be. Did they not want to play volleyball at some point? No. I, they they just decided? I They didn't have to play. In other words, Stanton just started playing club two years ago. Hagen okay. started playing when he was 14, and most kids that he knew were starting before that, but I held them out. I said, I, I just don't, it's not necessary. I had the camps going on when they were younger, so they were down at the camp. They were touching the ball. They they developed the skills, which is the most important thing at a young age, is yeah. develop the skills. And then if they want to go on and they want to play and they want to compete, then they'll be ahead of most everybody else because they've developed the skills. So, yeah, that's what they did. They they played, they waited a little bit longer, and then they got involved and and Hagen, it's you know he's on his way. Awesome. Had my oldest tell me that he wasn't into into volleyball. I'm not like you, Dad. Yeah. Like, oh well, I wasn't aware you were supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> and then a couple months later, he's wanting to pepper out in the front yeah. yard, uh-huh. just out of the blue. Uh huh. Hmm. That's strange, isn't it, buddy? It, it, it. So much of it has to do with it. You know what what happens at home around. You know if if the ball is in the house. They're going to touch the ball. If it's, right. if it's yeah. a hockey stick, you know, in the house, with a, they're going to pick up the stick and start hitting the thing. It, their environment will dictate a lot of what they do. But, but having, you know, seeing it, if you're around us, you see it more as children. So they saw it. They understood it. They're going to make the choice at some point whether they want to go that direction or they want to go another direction. Right. But so many parents want to want to force them to do mm-hmm. certain things. I, In every sport, I force my kids to do all sports. That's what I did, and give them an opportunity to experience the different sports. And, and if if sports was going to be their bag, they were going to end up choosing it. But we we needed to encourage them a little bit. Do you have a violinist or a trombonist? No, and that bums me out because it's one thing I wish I, wish I would have done is, is, you know, in California with the way the weather is and all the sporting opportunities available, to take a kid and pull him inside yeah, and play tough. an instrument yeah. is tough. 
it's it's a great thing. So you get to college, and the guy plays the guitar at a party, and he's really popular. Yeah, exactly right. Kevin's been burnt on that before, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> I, tr- I tried to play, and I decided I could take the guitar apart and put it back together if you want, but I can't play the thing. That's how you lost girls that way. Hey, I'll tell you a story. Todd Schaefer, I don't know if you're familiar with who he is. He's been Scully's stepson, mm-hmm. but he was a pretty good beach volleyball player. And and we we were at a tournament somewhere, you know, one of the AVP events at the time, and we're in the lobby of a hotel, and it just happened to be where everyone was kind of congregating. There was a piano kind of off to the side, and he goes back, and he starts just dialing in this stuff. Pickling the ivories. Classical <laughs> stuff. And in the beginning, everybody heard it, didn't know what it was. And then everybody gravitated over to where he was, and he just went off. And That's he had cool. a, a hidden talent nobody knew about, and it was exciting. I mean, for us and for me to hear it, but imagine the girls. I mean, they were crazy. <laughs> but it, it, it was a very, very cool thing. And having a you know that kind of a talent and musical background is is i think awesome for children because you don't know they they that may be their bag right but, it, but unless they're they're exposed to it they may never know it's a new business southern california outdoor music lessons there you go yeah. ah. you're welcome whoever does that they're trying ah. to kick the personal trainers out of the parks how about some violinists there you go yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> kick my trombone right out of the yeah, park exactly. huh? <laughs> Yeah. Well, Sinjin, we certainly appreciate you coming down and spending the time here. No I know you're a busy guy involved in, uh, among other things, being an author, father, <laughs> movie and commercial acting, Hanu Sandals. Am I saying that right? Honu. Honu. Yeah, some people say Honu. And the, the other thing I'm pretty excited about is I'm working with a company called Be the Beast, and uh, they help kids get into college, you know, get scholarships mm. and play some around the country for girls and, and, and boys for uh, volleyball. So I, I'm that's a very, very cool thing. Where should folks that, go to check that out? Uh, BeTheBeast.com. BeTheBeast.com. Be and uh, it, it's it's really neat working with kids from all over the country and and helping them. Because you know, I, you don't know yet, but at some point you're going to be thinking about college for your kids. And right. If they're athletes Soon. particularly. He's 11. And you're, you're thinking, oh, God, what? What's out there and what's available, and it's hard to know everything. Even even the the coaches of clubs don't know all the opportunities out there available for the kids. They have relationships the 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 clubs with certain coaches for certain teams, but there's so many more. The kids that that aren't going to get the full ride to a school. It's very very important to know that they can get into a school and for their parents too. Yeah. And a lot of times, volleyball is a vehicle just to get them in. And there's other ways for them to get money from the schools without being, a, uh, you know, an athletic scholarship. And we we provide all that information and, and talk directly to the coaches and find the schools, narrow them down to the right schools for them based on what they want: a big school, small school, religious, uh, West Coast, East Coast. And we, you know, we we narrow it down for them and and you know. Find the school that's right for them. And forget that admissions is just a big deal. Forget the scholarship fight, but just yeah. getting into school these days is no, a big problem. Ridiculous. But then even the next step is when you come in as an athlete, usually you get preferential treatment for picking your courses, which doesn't happen as a freshman for, for you know, right. people get into school. But, there's, yeah, there's so many benefits. Getting in being the biggest. All right, B2Beast.com. Check that out as well as uh, checking out some other things we've talked about today. Spiker. No, don't check that out. Never yeah. Don't, yeah. Go, don't go look that up. Don't don't bother. I could send you a DVD if you need one. Yeah. Like that. Extras. Uh, we want to make sure we say congratulations to Gib and Patterson. Third place. 
Bronze. Stad. Yep. Third place. Congratulations. Pretty Adam. amazing Patterson steps onto the international scene and does as well as he's done. That's incredible. I said at the beginning of the season, we were talking about the teams. I was like, oh, they'll have some up and downs because they're a new team. They're mm-hmm. learning each other. And all of a sudden, they are just, Boom. I mean, yeah. And, great for them. And very cool. And I know you're trying to wrap it up, but I just have to say something about Casey. You, we talk about why a sport is successful, and it's a lot to do with the personality of the players. Casey is the guy. He is so cool, yeah. and he has a personality. He's not afraid to show it to everybody, and he's a really nice guy on top of it. So he, he's a very interesting and great player to watch, very talented and fun to watch. It was a bronze sort of week, too, because the U19 Beach Tournament went on, and Sarah Hughes and Kelly Kleiss, mm-hmm. Kleiss I think, and TJ DeFalco and Lucas Yoder, an unusual yet familiar name right yeah. there. Bob Yoder, is that uh, Lucas? Is that his son there? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I think, I think Seems that's Seems like you son. wouldn't have there's another a bunch Yoder of playing volleyball. There no, there's, a couple. there's a bunch of Yoders playing that are really, really good. I, I think Lucas is, is Bob's son. So they both took third place at those events. Congratulations to them. And also the junior national team was named recently. This was back in June, and they will actually be in action coming up. They will be playing there right now in Costa Rica. They're playing right now through the 20th, and then they'll be back going to Turkey at the end of August, beginning of September. Mike Christensen out of USC on that team. Ben Patch out of Brigham Young. Matt West from Pepperdine. DJ White out of Harvard is on that team. Some of the names that you've heard about on our show throughout the last season along with Pete Hansen, Jonah Carson, and Jay Hosick coaching. So Jay out of town currently. Friend of the show. Although he did post when we said we had a, a legend of the sport coming on to co-host. He said, well, guys, I'm not really a legend. Yeah. You know, which is <laughs> nice of you to say. So thanks so much for sitting in, Sijin. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Lot of fun. Yeah. Finally, you asked me. Yeah, yeah, Kevin. Well, now we're going to ask you again, so we'll see how that yeah, goes. Yeah, see what your answer is for next Monday. <laughs> Don't forget the ASICS Beach Volleyball Tournament, a World Series of Beach Volleyball coming up, and it is a whole week event that's the 22nd through the 28th of July down in Long Beach. It is how expensive? Free, baby, free. Zero dollars. But sign up to play in the four-man, six-man collegiate and youth. It's available before it fills up. Get on their website, WSOBV.com, and sign up. And I think some of the finals of those events are on stadium court as well. Yeah, absolutely. The four and six finals will be on stadium court. I'll be there. It'll be incredible. And and (laughs) DJ Roger will be calling the game from the stage. (laughs) exactly. Just heckling people. Chris McGee will be there, and all kinds of other folks will be there getting some interviews and stuff, having a good time. Who knows? Maybe I'll be playing libero for somebody. Awesome. Sitting. On the sitting team. (laughs) All right. I'm Kevin. He's Jeremy. And the other guy's Christopher. We'll see you next time here on the Net Live. On the glittery sands of Long Beach, California, the top beach volleyball players in the world will compete to be the true champions of the game. For the first time in a decade, these elite masters of the sand gather on U.S. soil for the ASICS World Series of Beach Volleyball. Step up your game in a week-long festival celebrating all things beach, including sports, music, culture, and community. As the professionals vie for half a million dollars in prize money, fans will have the opportunity to compete in several open tournaments throughout the week. Sanctioned by the FIVB, the sport's international governing body, this ultimate beach showdown takes place July 22nd to the 28th. Visit WSOBV.com for details. It's the ASICS World Series of Beach Volleyball.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.